and welcome everyone to another episode of World Hockey Report here for T-Cool Tuesdays on this Tuesday, May the 3rd. Guys and gals, the playoffs are underway. Hello everyone, I am your host today on this T-Cool Tuesday, the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kuhl. Guys, I am jacked up. The playoffs are going. We are on fire and everyone's fighting. Everyone is angry. Suspensions, punches, goals, blood. It's the playoffs. The Stanley Cup playoffs are underway. Ah, man, it's the most wonderful time of the year, guys. Thank you all, of course, as always, for checking us out here on World Hockey Report. Whether you're watching us on the World Hockey Report social media platforms at World Hockey RPT, of course, on your Twitter, your Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever. We're on there. Check us out on all those platforms. You can always follow me, Tyler, at TJKU29. As always, guys, we are here inside the Pro Rock Broadcast Studios for this first day of playoff action. Remember, three shows a week starting last week, but this is the reason why, because there's just so much to talk about, and we're only through four games of the playoffs. We're not even through the first round, the second round. We're just through four games of half the series. So we are excited, of course, as always here to give you the latest and greatest here on World Hockey Report. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, obviously, we'll talk about the games last night. We'll talk about the big win for the St. Louis Blues over the Minnesota Wild, the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't want to say handling the Boston Bruins, but the outcome certainly looked like it. But we'll get into that. Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News, of course, will be jumping on the show to also talk about the Leafs lightning game last night because holy cow. The score was one thing, the game was another. He'll also give a recap of the under-18 tournament that happened in Germany. He's one of, the, one of the best draft analysis and prospect writers in the game right now. And later on, we have a pre-recorded interview with the voice of the Edmonton Oilers, Jack Michael, stopping by, talking about the team and their series with the LA Kings. After that interview is when we will actually recap game one, which, boy, Mike Smith, how, how you doing now, friend? That... That was a, oh boy, an, an, an egregious, an egregious giveaway, I think is the best way we can describe that right now. But let's, let's talk about some, let's talk about some news that happened. We'll get the news out of the way here from the past week. A lot of coaching news across the National Hockey League. Jeff Blaschel and his staff all told they're not coming back in Detroit. The Red Wings, after missing the playoffs for now a sixth straight, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, sixth straight season. Wanted to make sure I could count on my fingers and toes. Not making the playoffs. Blashill being in there for all of those series. Made the playoffs once in 15, 16, but that's because he still had Zetterberg and Datsuk and all that stuff. But didn't make the playoffs. They're gone. Coaching being looked for across the board there. There's a couple of candidates, but still a little early on for that. However, we did see another coach firing today. Mike Yo fired as the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. To no one's really surprise, he was a he was already going to be a guy that was he was a fill-in for Elaine Vigneault. So I don't think anyone's shocked that he was not brought back. But the fact of the matter is now that Philadelphia, the team with the blank checks and the team that refuses to rebuild, needs to find a new coach and implement a new system to try to get this team on the winning path. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of exit interviews over the past week. Everything from Carey Price looking pretty at peace with possibly playing his last game last week, which for myself, being a longtime Carey Price fan, it's 
it's going to be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but you know what? Understandable. The man has a family, and boy, he he's done a lot in his hockey career. I know he didn't win the big silver jug at the end of the year, but man, oh man, he's he had one heck of a career. If that was it, we'll certainly have to wait to see what his decision is. Also, Mark, uh, the Winnipeg Jets got a little bit interesting. Kevin Dayoff extended his contract, the general manager of the Jets, and him saying that they're actively looking for a coach. Dave Lowry, obviously not the possible. He might be the first option, but they're going to look over all their options with the Winnipeg Jets, as well as uh, trying to figure out what to do with Mark Shifley, because Mark Shifley, uh, whether you call it subliminal messaging or not, during his exit interview with the media, or on uh, during their exit interviews with the the media scrums last week with the Jets. Mark Shifley uh, said he's going to kind of look over all of his options, which kind of interesting, you know, because, well, Mark Shifley, the team, the team had an off year. Let's be honest. I think a lot of us picked the Winnipeg Jets to, you know, maybe be a wild card team, be competing for the playoffs. And, well, they missed it, and they missed it by a lot, like more than the Vancouver Canucks, which should be all you need to know. And, of course, the Vancouver Canucks, Bruce Boudreaux openly saying in his last media availability with the team, saying that he wants to come back and all of his inclinations that he wants to come back. So question is, will all of them in the company there and, you know, the, the group run by Jim Rutherford and company, I think, you know, hey, we talked about it last week with Romy here from Hockey Podcast Network. It's really hard not to see why they would not want him back. The team played well under him, and if you want a team that makes the playoffs, he might be their guy. So... A lot of the news going on around right now, but we'll get to the games also later on that are happening tonight. That'll be later on in our show. We'll tee up game one between the Caps and the Panthers. We'll also get to the uh, all the other games. We have Calgary taking on Dallas, the rematch of the 2020 bubble series, Rangers and Penguins. That's the first game at 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And then the Preds and Ads, of course, which is looking like a more one-sided series by the moment. So let us get into... The, the the nitty-gritty from last night. The the big game, I I think, of the night, the first big game, the first game, of course, was Carolina and Boston. And first of all, PNC Arena. Like, I know a lot of people are getting a little bit annoyed with the Carolina Hurricanes, and and a lot of people are still a little on edge about their offseason decisions in terms of player personnel. Hello, Tony D'Angelo. How you doing? Nobody cares. But... They still put on a party, man. They they still have a party down there in Raleigh. The crowd was fired and they fired up. And of course, the game was they come out strong to the Boston Bruins. And this was a team that we were wondering how would they react. And a lot of us thought, you know, this is could be this could be a longer series. And I looked at it as the fact that hey, Frederick Anderson is not the starting goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes. Anti Ranta is. This is a guy. That has never been a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League playoffs. Excuse me, John Shannon. The Stanley Cup playoffs. Almost forgot. Almost had to had to catch my tongue there. But the matter is that I really think that in games and series like this, when you're when the cards are stacked against you, or when you're not expected to be the guy, and there's really no. Pr- I mean, there is a little bit of pressure on you, but no one's expecting you to step up. And that's what Antti Ranta did last night because the Bruins came out firing. I think shots were, what, 8-1, 9-1 early on in the first period. Ranta makes some huge saves, getting a little bit of help from his defenseman to keep the puck off the goal line. Ranta was playing really well, extremely well. Ended up making 35 saves in the win 
5-1 winners for the Hurricanes. They take a one to nothing series lead. Lots of penalties on both sides, but this was the most physical game of the night. 100 hits in total between the Canes and the Bruins. An old Adams division rivalry, if you will. Yes, that is a Hartford Whalers reference for you folks at home and all you younger kids out there. But the long story short is, this has been a rivalry that's kind of brewing because remember, the Bruins swept them in 2019 in the Eastern Conference Finals and pretty much handed them their lunch in the bubble in 2020. Last year, they didn't get a chance to meet because they were in different divisions with the realignment due to COVID last season. But this is a rivalry that's slowly kind of coming to fruition here because of the way the format is right now. And you know what? I like it. This is how the series is going to go. Because once again, I will say this. This is not... This, the score says one thing. You actually watch the game, it says another. Because has does Antiranta play like Linus Allmark? We're going to see like a 7-6 game. Because holy cow, Linus Allmark did not play well at all. I don't... I mean, he didn't play bad, but... You could tell that he was not comfortable in that situation because he hasn't really had a whole lot of playoff experience either. Gives up four goals on 24 shots. Great game for Vinny Trocek, of course, to no one's surprise at all. Seth Jarvis with a goal and an assist, eh? How about that? That looks pretty darn good on his little score sheet there. Sebastian Ajo gets in on the assist, and he's creating plays. Tivo Teravainen with that, Tivo Teravainen, excuse me, with that huge goal in the third, third period. I'm trying to remember what time of the game it was. And, of course, if, uh, Andrei Sveshnikov was able to get the empty net goal. 5-1 win for the Hurricanes. Uh, the, the story was the fact that Antti Ranta stepped up and came up big here. Taylor Hall, by the way, the lone goal scorer for the Boston Bruins in that game last night. Game 2 tomorrow, it's going to be interesting because you it's probably going to be Jeremy Swayman. And is it a tough spot? 100%. 100% indeed. By the way, jumping on the chat right now. If you're watching on the Hockey Podcast Network or 12 Ounce Sports, or if you're on Twitter, go ahead and jump down in the comments section there. We'll get to you. Uh, the Basketball Podcast Network, go THPN and World Hockey Report. Thank you very much, guys. ZD Fishing, who do I think will win the Stanley Cup? Huh, that's interesting. Cody Jansen, co- friend of World Hockey Report. That is correct, Janner. You guys had him on in the past. King sweeping the Oilers. We'll get to it, all right, Janner? We'll get to that. We'll get to the Oilers and Kings. We got to talk to Jack Michaels first, or at least play back the interview with Jack Michaels first. Because, I listen, I is it a good time to throw the, the graphic up? Yeah, you know what? Let's do that here. Let's give us a second here to, before we get to the Blues and Wild game last night, let's take a look at the picks that we had across the World Hockey Report here. Let me just, whoop, there you go right there. Let's check that out. That is the picks. Mine is on the far right, so hold on. It's, where do I go here? Here we go. You can see right here, I picked the Kings in five. Now, I didn't tell Jack Michaels that I picked the Kings in five, mainly because of the fact that, well, I wanted him to have him on my show. But we'll get to the reason why, because of how game one went last night. And as you can tell, all of us here on World Hockey Report picked the, where's my finger? There it is, the Boston Bruins. I picked it to go, this series to be a long one, just because these two teams will just beat the holy heck out of each other. Should be a fun series indeed. Now let's get to the series that I talked about, we're talking about here, where I picked the St. Louis Blues, as did Janner as well. So the the game last night between the Wild and the and the Blues. Listen, this was a another hot start for both teams. And I really thought, Dylan Kaiser, how you doing, buddy? Let's go. That's right. That's right indeed. Avs in six. Let's see how game one goes first there, Dylan. The, the Avalanche, I think, are the now modern-day Tampa Bay Lightning or the early 90s Detroit Red Wings. We'll get to that later on, like we said. 
uh, when we preview that game later on. But the Blues and Wild, once again, a 4 nothing game where it says one team played well better than the other if you look at the score sheet. But at the same token, was Minnesota really out of it? The answer is no, because you want to know why? Some kid named Billy Huso. Soda Pod Billy Huso. Jumping into your nightmares there in the land of 10,000 lakes. A huge performance, 37 saves in his first start. Remember how we all were going into the playoffs, guys? Andy Strickland's coming out screaming it. Everyone in St. Louis is screaming it. I was yelling it. Jordan Bennington's going to be the starter for game one. Why, kids? Because the fact of the matter is, he's the one that got him there in 2019. It was three years ago, but listen, Tuka Rask had about five extra years added onto his career because he took the, to the Bruins to the Cup Final in 2013. Ended up working out in 2019. I mean, well... Getting there, I mean, not actually winning it. But to my point is, who of how many of us actually thought Billy Huso was going to get the start in game one? And how many people from Minnesota were all going, yes, we got the rookie in net, the playoff rookie in net tonight. Fire everything at him. And they did. He made some huge saves. And let's be honest, he made, I mean, the goal, the goalpost made a few stops as well. Billy Huso probably had to take out that goal to dinner after the game, or at least tonight, because holy cow couple of close calls for Minnesota but the thing was was that we saw the flaws in Marc-Andre Fleury in the game last night and I think Flower played a good game as well and this is not just because of the fact that I'm a goal you know a member of the goaltending union here you know 27 saves for the veteran netminder last year's Vezda winner but we saw where Marc-Andre Fleury's flaws have been before look at the goals look at all three goals for David Perron rebounds kicked out rebounds David Perron at the face-off circle, the Alex Ovechkin spot, just banging in rebounds. All three of his goals, a hat-trick for David Perron, ended up having four points in the game as well, two of them on the power play. And then the goal for Ryan O'Reilly, a shot from the point by Justin Falk, deflected on, save made by Fleury, overplays the rebound to his left, and O'Reilly just, just pokes it in the back of the net. I mean, Fleury's a great goaltender, but that's always been one of his knocks is that he finds a way to overplay rebounds. He fi- he just does a little bit too much of a push. He challenges one shot too much. And yes, occasionally he's able to make a magnificent save on the rebound, sure. But the problem is that sometimes he gets caught out of position and it comes back to bite him in the keister. And and that's and you guys remember the 20... And I know I'm going to go on a bit of a stretch here before we've been joined here in a few minutes by Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. But do you remember the 2011 Finals? Tim Thomas and Roberto Luongo. Thomas gives up the goal, a tying goal late in game two in Vancouver. He was, it was a point shot at Rogers Arena. I think it was called the GM place at the time. Challenges too much on the point shot. It goes off the end boards. I forgot who scored the tying goal for Vancouver, but he bangs it in because Thomas was way out of his net. And then Roberto Luongo calls him out for it after the game, which is not goaltender union policy, by the way. We do not call our goaltender styles at least to the media, behind closed doors in the locker room with the boys. What happens in the room stays in the room. But to my point with that is, that's what we see here with Flurry, Trying too much. Feels like he needs to get on top of the crease, outside of the crease. When in reality, if he sits back a little bit, he's still a big guy, right? Like he's six foot whatever, and he's, you know, he's got a big chest protector that helps him out. He doesn't need to challenge those shots. And I don't want to say that proved to be the difference because, like I said, Billy Huso on the other end was on his head the entire game. But you know what? He makes a save here, a save two, you know, made that big save on the penalty kill. And I got to tell Stephen Ellis to hold on a second because Stephen's getting a little ahead of himself. Um, I, Anyways, I, I think 
Flurry's gonna have a bounce back game tomorrow night. I, I I know he's I know he's a guy that he knows what he needs to change up differently. And I think he'll probably watch the film back and say, you know what, different save selection here. And I think Minnesota comes back with the same amount of effort, same amount of zip in their step with the home crowd, and I think they'll be a little bit better. So Minnesota and the Boston Bruins each trailing after game one, game two set up tomorrow night, the exact same times, by the way, which is pretty nice having those games at the seven o'clock, five o'clock for Boston, Carolina, and then 9.30, 7.30 for Minnesota, St. Louis. I like that. If they keep that the entire way of the playoffs, that'll be nice because I'll actually be able to plan myself out. But anyways, we're going to take a pause here, folks. We are going to jump on and get ready for Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. He'll be joining us to talk about the under-18s and the Leafs and Lightning. It was a very rough game last night. We'll talk about that and more when we come back here on World Hockey Report. Hockey fans feel the action like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals, assists, saves, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Take your game to the next level with Pro Rock Hockey Stick. Rock is changing the way we buy top of the line twigs. They're left and provide the perfect kick point. Whether you're a pro hockey player legend, Pro Rock Hockey Sticks are made for you. They're at a price point you can't beat. So check them out today at ProRock.com. Play like a Pro Rock. Hockey fans feel the action like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals 
assists, saves, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to World Hockey Report. T-Cool Tuesdays, day one of the playoffs in the books, guys. It has been an exciting first day of action. Be sure to jump in the chat, by the way, if you are on the Hockey Podcast Network YouTube channel or 12 Ounce Sports. Jump on the chat. We'll get you on in there. Like the Soda Pod saying the Blues in six, because even though he's from Minnesota and has a great tasting craft beer, Soda Pod might be right, guys, how that game went last night. And Billy Huso keeps standing on his head. But guys, do you need a new hockey stick? All the big brands keep raising their prices, making the game more unaffordable than ever before. You don't have to fall for that for that anymore because Pro Rock Hockey Sticks, a true Canadian company with real morals, offers players of all levels the top-of-the-line stick at a fraction of the cost. It is lighter, more balanced, and has more customizable options than anything off the rack. Check out the family-run business today at ProRock.com. And now with that, I am glad, glad to be joined by a guy that I've talked to, oh gosh, I don't know how many times we've talked over the years. I mean, he's been probably one of my favorite guys to talk about with draft prospects with, and a guy I like to talk some racing with, auto racing with every so often as well. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Hockey News, it is none other than Stephen Ellis. Stephen, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I am doing well. I know it's been a busy week for you. We've got a new show going on there with the hockey news. And of course, as always, the best coverage. And I mean, you, Tony Ferrari, and a couple other guys, of course, from other outlets, providing great coverage for the under 18s because for me, it is one of the best, the best precursors to the upcoming NHL draft. And maybe I'm a little biased now because I actually worked it. But first of all, the big question I got to ask was. How angry were you that I wasn't there with hockey TV? <laughs> well, um, at least I would have known the games would have always been broadcasted. Um, yeah, you, you guys did a fantastic job last year. It was like, like considering that was almost like considered like a small production to what we're used to seeing uh, in Canada, like TSN and, and or NHL Network in the States. Uh, that was unbelievable. The quality was always good. The, the knowledge was great. And uh, I, I seriously love those broadcasts last year. I, I it. enjoyed him too, and that's why we made, that's why that's why we were able to have Bruce Levine on last week because I was I guess good enough to him that he liked to talk to me. So that, there we go, you know, building relationships, right? Even though you're wearing masks and running into Steve Eiserman in bathrooms and Craig Button saying weird things to him in the, at Plano, Texas. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about this year's tournament, Sweden, with the I don't want to say the I mean I guess it seems like you can say an upset given how good the United States were during this tournament. But Sweden, after a pretty poor performance, despite having guys like, I mean, gosh, uh, Liam Dover-Nielsen, Simon Edvinson, Fabian Lassell last year. This year's Swedish team comes out on top, wins the gold medal for the under-18s for the second time in, well, four years. They actually won the last tournament back in 2019 before last season. What made this Swedish team so much better than last year's team, Stephen? Well, it's funny because when you look at the, they lost to Latvia at the start of the tournament, they uh, they're losing to Switzerland multiple times in the second game. They had such a slow start, but they started to figure things out. And you look at the Dijer Gardens line of uh, like Ramaki, Oslin, Ogren, and they had all these great Swedish uh, speedsters. But you look at that championship game 
And like you say, you don't want to call it a necessary upset, but the Americans had like over 50 shots and Sweden had 16. So you look at the math and clearly say one team was much better than the other. Um, but the Americans took a lot of, of bad penalties. They didn't get the good goaltending they needed and Sweden capitalized at all. So um, they deserve to be there. They played really well when it mattered. And that's kind of the most important thing. And they were dominant uh, for uh, in, in their quarterfinal matchup. They they beat uh, Finland. Uh, it was a pretty close game that really came down in the last minute. And then Sweden went on their one uh, gold. But uh, I'd say for sure that was just a good team. They were skilled. And I think they just capitalized on the opportunities. I think that's the key thing there. Would I say this team was better than last year? I think I like last year's team better. But this one just kind of took advantage of any mistake that the teams are playing uh, made. And, and they looked like they were more of a t- team together as well because it looked like a lot of – and Bruce and I talked about this a little bit off the air before we chatted last week. We were talking about the under-18s, and we're like, wow, Sweden's coming out a lot stronger. And that's because of the fact that, well, maybe this was just a more cohesive unit than some of the more individuals, if you will. But you said they beat the Americans, and this is a team, of course, that was coached by Bob Nightingale, who is rumored to be going to Michigan State, too, as a result because they have an opening there at the NCAA level now. This – I mean – the Americans always seem to put a good team together. Once again, they just take their national development program under 18 team with a couple of U17 guys sometimes and just put them in this tournament. And it kind of shows every year with how well these guys work together and they were able to, you know, they came up short, but once again, another great performance by this team who stood out in the red, white, and blue for you. Rucker McGrady for sure. This is a guy that yeah. it just seems like the, just he's always fighting for the puck. He was really good in front of the net. Uh, up until the final game, I'd say Trey Augustine, the goaltender, looked really good. Uh, Isaac Howard out there putting up all the points that he did was uh, really good. Ryan Leonard, uh, 2023 prospect, I thought he looked fantastic. Uh, Lane Hudson, you can't go wrong with him. Lane Hudson was fantastic last year in Texas. It was even better this year, I'd say. So uh, there was a team that just, they were dominant throughout. There was like no game that was really close until the finals. And uh, so uh, that's a tough way to go out. That's, that's three years in a row where... They really look like the favorites. Well, I'd say Canada was the favorite last year, but that was an American team that played together all year long in a situation where a lot of these players didn't play at all, uh, and they came up short. So uh, it's going to be disappointing. Obviously, it doesn't like to them. Gold's all that matters. That's what they're playing for for two years to get. But they there was a lot of talent. That was one of the best U18 uh, teams we've seen at this tournament in a long, long time. Man, it, it was like I remember well last year's team hurt because didn't Luke Hughes get hurt in like the second or mm-hmm. third game of the tournament that's what really did him. it like it shouldn't have done them in but that's what it seemed like it did but you, you mentioned Canada from last year the Shane Wright Connor Bedard uh, I, I remember the name that kept coming to my mind I kept looking at it I'm like this guy has got something you know maybe not the gifted skill but Logan Stankoven and like mm-hmm. the list went on and on with that team last year like that team was built to win and this year, you know, they still had Connor Bedard, who is slowly creeping his way up to being one of the top U18 scorers of all time in the IHF tournament and who still is eligible to play next year, which is still crazy. But, you know, they, they fall short. And, yeah, Canada has not been historically amazing in the U18s, but this team still had a great few talents that, you know, A, their draft prospects this year or, like we mentioned, in 2023. Yeah, like this is a Canadian team that I think played better than the results suggest. Uh, on the one fact that if you look against look at those games against Finland and the Czech Republic, if you even cut the amount the number of power play goals in half, 
they they were going to win those games. Uh, but the problem was they allowed too many, where it was five against the Czechs, where they went to overtime in that game. So you do the math, it was about, I believe, 6 5 in that game or, or something like that. And they probably would have won that game. Uh, they do look at Finland and, and they were winning 5 3, five minutes to go. And a couple penalties put them on the back burner and then they lost in overtime. So Canada could have played for a medal there and they kind of just keep shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, I'd say honestly, one of the best players in that team was Reed Dick, which is hilarious because his goals against average was like six something like, like the worst stats uh, you would ever expect from Canadian goalie, but he faced 46 shots a game, which is kind of unheard of for a team Canada goalie. And Benjamin Gujo, for example, last year was averaging like 20. So you look at the big difference in the goaltending there. Like I thought Reed Dick played really good. So Dick was good. Uh, I liked obviously the, the, the guys you mentioned, Bedard fan. I, I thought Fantilli, despite being a bit snake bitten, looked pretty good. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'd say again, the, 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 the result doesn't really show how good this team could have finished had they not taken just so many penalties. Yeah. And then, and that's one thing that's maybe different. Well, from last night, what we saw in the NHL, usually there's not as many penalties in the playoffs. With double IHF, is seemingly no matter what tournament, no matter what event that's holding, always seems to have uh, the, the officials calling the rule book for the most part. You know, we talked about here the Americans, the Swedes, the Canadians, the big three that people like to talk about for these tournaments. But, you know, obviously there were other teams. There was Latvia, there was the Swiss, there were the Finns. Who, who was one player from maybe the countries we didn't talk about that really caught your eye and says, you know what, this guy has something that he can turn on to maybe be an NHLer later on. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'd say I really liked how um, oh, Gregory Weber played in, on um, Switzerland. This is a guy that just seemed every time that uh, uh, the Swiss kind of needed something, he played well. And and for the Swiss team, it wasn't a great group. Um, he had a couple goals early, and I thought he looked good. The thing about this tournament that was really kind of annoying uh, was honestly just not having Russia there really kind of watered down the talent yeah it was they were really exactly. good i mean they were silver medalists last year and they probably would have had matthew mishkov once again yeah and they would have been fantastic they, they would have had a good team they probably would have been competing for a medal so for them to not be there kind of really hurt um yuri kulich obviously was out there he had nine goals to me he really helped his draft stock in a, in a huge way edward Sully, another guy in the checks that played really good he, he, he maybe didn't get as much attention because he wasn't the goal scorer but he I think he only scored the one goal, but he looked good. Uh, Julian Lutz on Germany, I thought, looked really good. Uh, scored some key points against Canada. I believe most of his points did come against Canada, but he played really well when that mattered. Uh, Luca Hoff, another uh, German player, I thought was pretty good. Um, there was one guy, I, I, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, name was, but it was like Martin Skrutenitz, the defenseman of Latvia, I thought also looked really good. Um, so uh, a good opportunity for some players to kind of shine at this tournament, but it's it's still something where when you take out one of the top teams in the tournament, it really kind of watered down what we should have seen because Germany always seems to have a, a tough team to play against. But last year, we, that was one thing we saw. We saw them have to play both the Americans in Germany and did not have a fun time at all last year at the Comerica Center there in Frisco. Uh, Apocalyptic Johnson on the Twitter never understood why everyone's been counting the Blues so easily. The defending Stanley Cup champs from 2019. That was in a discussion we had earlier on talking about the Blues winning game one. We do have some news to talk about, Stephen. This is how we're going to turn things over to the Leafs and Bolts coming up here. NHL Department of Player Safety getting heavy with the Twitter feed here recently in the last few hours. Jared Spurgeon has been fined $5,000 for cross-checking the back of the leg of Pavel Buchnevich. Buchnevich seems to be okay, but a fine for an egregious cross-check. Steven, do we want to talk about the game itself, the hockey that was played between Tampa and Toronto last night? Or do we want to talk about the shenaniganery? Well, the game wasn't very close. Five <laughs> nothing. Well, and uh, well, let's be say- let's be honest here. Have like the first period was exactly what we expected. A little bit tight. 
the Leafs trying to feed off the home crowd, playing desperate because, you know, I remember the graphic that popped up. They had not won a game one at home since 2002. Like yeah. That was against the Islanders. That was 20 years ago, Stephen. We were, st- I mean, you and I were still in, you know, we were in grammar school and whatnot. I mean, I wasn't we even watching grammar. hockey. Like, I it wasn't was, watching hockey then. <laughs> I mean, that's how long ago it was. But they, we knew exactly what the Leafs were expecting. And everyone, the big guns came out. Matthews with two, one on the power play, the one power play goal last night. And of course, the big story, Mitchell Marner, his first power play goal since 2019. <laughs> Getting on the board, each of those guys have three points last night. The Leafs did exactly what they needed to do against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. They played Tampa's game. They played the game where they, they played physical. They played really strong defense. Their goaltending was fantastic, and they shot a lot of pucks and scored a lot of goals. Um, that was one game where actually I, I didn't get to watch live. Um, I'll be at game two, but I, that, I, I had to do something else. And, but I live close enough to Scotiabank Arena where when the crowd outside cheer and you could hear it, and it was really cool to hearing that quite a bit last night. Um, and this city was just just rocking. They were excited. They were happy. They were having a good time to be able to watch uh, the Leafs play uh, just a playoff game in general in front of fans. And uh, But yeah, they, they played the, the strong physical game where uh, obviously we saw a lot of penalty minutes and we're going to be expecting a lot of that. And that was something that Sheldon Keefe said beforehand. We're going to have to play some violent hockey. And that is what we saw. And Kyle Clifford is now out for the, for the next game. Wayne Simmons got uh, fine. And those are guys that you don't put Cog Clifford in a playoff game against Tampa Bay unless you think something's going to happen. And we saw that a few weeks ago when they played each other, that he was involved in that game pretty physically. And that's what he did there. He's out of the next game. And let's see, maybe Jason Spencer kind of goes back in and gets a better role. Um, this is a team that I still think Tampa Bay is going to win this series. I still pick them to be win this in seven, but Toronto is going to, this is the best Toronto has been prepared wise to go on a long playoff run. They should have beat Montreal last year. And yep. let's be fair. You look at the stats. If it wasn't for outstanding goaltending on uh, the Montreal Canadiens, it probably would have been a different result. But uh, this is one where it's going to be a very fun series. Even if you're not a fan, it's a lot easier to watch, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I pay, I'll i be honest. And I, I, I want the blue and white to win. The, the blue and white from north of the board. I should clarify myself here. But I picked the Bolton six because they just have that experience. Uh, shout out to Beer Sports, whatever podcast he subs. Be sure to join us here on the chat once again, folks, on the Hockey Podcast Network and 12 Ounce Sports here on this T Cool Tuesdays here on World Hockey Report. And, you know, I, I don't think Andre Vasilevsky played a bad game last night. I know the Marner goalie got caught a little bit out of position with all the traffic in front, but. I don't know. He didn't play all that bad. Campbell, I think, did exactly what he had to do, even though he did not have nearly as much of a workload as his compadre down at the other end of the rink. The goaltending was okay last night. It's just the Leafs were able to take more. Well, outside of the one gaffe that led to the Matthews second goal, the puck handling, you know, the puck handling miscue, which is not the first one we'll talk about here on World Hockey Report today. We got something coming up later when we talk about Oilers and Kings game one later on after we talk with Jack Michaels, the voice of the Oilers here on WHR today. But you know, I just think last night, I said it off the top of the show, this series does not seem like it's going to be a... Fi- I mean, th- Tampa could easily come out and win 6-0 tomorrow night. I think we all can agree with that. There's a possibility. I mean, geez, how many times is Steven Stamkos going to miss a one-timer backdoor? Yeah. This is going to be one of those series that it's either going to be a blowout both sides or it's going to be a one-goal game that's going to come down to like the final seconds or even overtime. I want to see this series end in Game 7 in overtime. That game would be eight. just... No, we need Game 8. It needs to go so eight. long, it feels like eight games. Perfect. Summit Series. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I actually... Anderson! <laughs> 
I'm, I'm actually expecting Tampa Bay to win this next game uh, just because we know that that's not a team that just doesn't lose back-to-back games often. And they definitely don't do it in the playoffs. And that's a team where they know how to bounce back. And I do think that playoff experience is overrated. Uh, part of that example is look how many teams go back to back. Very few. But the Tampa Bay Lightning, so much of that core has been there. They haven't had to change this group. And uh, that's kind of a huge thing. Uh, they just got to play their own game. They can't fall into Toronto's trap here. And uh, hey, if they scored on that five minute power play, I think we're talking about a completely different game. Oh, yeah. That's that. If Tampa scores first, it's a totally different game. Toronto almost handed that to them and they didn't end up making it work and Tampa Bay uh, ended up losing as a result. But I do think that Tampa Bay is going to come on swing. If Tampa scores two goals in the first period and force Toronto to chase, Toronto's a team that's got the skill to compete. But Tampa Bay, again, you get Vasilevsky in the right headspace, he's going to shut you down. And that's yep. what he does best. Yeah, and you mentioned Clifford there. The hit on Ross Colton ends up giving him one game, which is weird because it was a phone call conversation, not an in-person hearing. But then again, Clifford has not been spent nearly as much and let's go down the rest of the other stuff here. There was the, the third period. Wayne Simmons throws a big hit. And by the way, David Camp with a shorthanded goal, by the way. Holy cow. And Andre Kasha with a great game as well. Like mm-hmm. hold, I mean, the, uh, the, the depth players for Toronto that we know needed to step up. The, the lines that the Tampa Bay Lightning used in the last couple of seasons to win the Stanley Cup, not there this year. Toronto using it at least in game one. But let's, let's get to what happened in the third period, all right? Wayne Simmons throws a big hit. Corey Perry on the ice. What do you think is going to happen, kids? Corey Perry tries to chase him down, and Patrick Maroon's out there as well. So Wayne Simmons, of course, is like Eddie Shack, and he's like, I'm not doing this. And just kind of glides around the ice, doesn't engage. And then Morgan Riley comes in, and Blackwell comes in trying to protect him. And, and here's the list of everything that happened here. So we mentioned Clifford getting suspended the one game. That was obviously earlier on. Wayne Simmons gets fined 2250 bucks under the CBA, which is the maximum allowable value, which is... I don't know what's what's one what's that percentage of his contract like two percent <laughs> like if we don't I, I'm not good at math I'm not I, I can't do math I know there was no ma- I the, there was supposed to be no math involved in this show uh, Corey Perry gets twenty five hundred as well Patrick Maroon gets two thousand two hundred fifty dollars and that is it for the fines now you you saw the you saw the little line skirmish there right mm-hmm. yeah so it, it was funny was because I um, you know, where I was at, I had to watch the ESPN feed of it. And they actually went to break, which stunk. So, but I believe Sportsnet did too, actually. Sportsnet did too. Yeah. Cause everything seemed like it was calmed down. Cause typically they will stay on if there's an ongoing, you know, melee or brawl or whatever. And you know what? Yeah. There was some pushing and shoving and Perry was trying to get him. Riley was jumping in, just simply trying to protect Wayne Simmons. Simmons didn't want anything to do with it. And then all of a sudden Simmons grabbed Victor Hedman. Cause Hedman was down there for some reason that kickstarts everything. And Riley gets, and here's my problem with this. Corey Perry, of course, going out with Simmons and that stuff. Like, I get that. Simmons did kind of reignite the skirmish. I will say that's why maybe Simmons deserves this here. But Patrick Maroon fights, fights, with quotes, Stephen, fights Morgan Riley. Now, I, I, listen, I've been, I've tried to be, be a defender of the code, but what is the code, Stephen? What is a code in hockey anymore? Because I'm sorry, but to me, I know Riley engaged by grabbing a hold of Maroon and you know trying to rest him up a little bit. But Maroon all starts dropping his gloves and starts feeding him, and Riley didn't do that. I, from my perspective, that's an unwilling combatant, no? It, it didn't look like Riley really wanted... He, more like Riley wanted to kind of stay out of it, and he did kind of move a little bit to kind of get uh, Maroon started, but it's like, 
come on, man. If you're Riley, you don't want to fight the Maroon. And I think it just looked like he was just kind of get out of it. And then Maroon just kind of beat the crap out of him, essentially. So, uh, yeah, that that one. I, the, for me, the code is just don't start sucker punching someone like Riley was there. But again, I don't think Riley wanted to fight. No, Riley was out. And I think Riley and that's where Riley does one of those things where he shows that he is captain material where he just will at least him like, hey, Corey, let's stop this here. You know, that's why he got involved in the first place. And and Maroon was looking for a fight, you know, and I, I just that's why I hate about it, because everyone's and uh, Andrew. Uh, oh, Andrew, I'm not going to I'm not going to try to say your last name. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Uh, classic Tampa Bay and Corey Perry. Now, remember, of course, game one between Florida and Tampa last year in the playoffs was a wild game. Oh, yeah. Tampa ended up pulling that one out, but that was all full of skirmishes and whatnot. And yeah, you mentioned Corey Perry. Like, can we just say that we've been robbed Steven, we were robbed that Corey Perry was drafted by Brian Burke and the Anaheim Ducks. Because if Bra- if Corey Perry had been drafted in the Eastern Conference, that means at least somehow we would have gotten Brad Marchand versus Corey Perry, <laughs> at least in one playoff series, right? Like, isn't that would have wouldn't that have been like a complete and utter dumpster fire? Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Corey Perry doing that, that would have been good. And we're, uh, he was drafted by Anaheim, but Ottawa was the next pick. Like, we're so close. Yeah. We were so close, but like, I, I just, I don't know. And, the, and Andrew says that's wrong. Get a bigger to fight with you. I, th- I'm trying to figure out what that means there, Andrew, but I, I don't know. And I, the thing is, the question is how long will that go on? If they're the Tampa Bay lightning, because obviously they have the talent. I mean, they have Kucherov, they have Hedman, they have Stamkos, Vasilevsky, you know, he's gonna have a better game here, but that's what they also have as well. They have that tough style of hockey and, and I, I love whenever Jeff Merrick brings it up. He says they're kind of like the 1980s New York Islanders where they can play the skill game, they can play the fast game, but at the same token, they can punch you in the mouth if need be. You know, yeah, they had Bossy, they had Trottier, and, and they had Denny Poffin at the point, but they also had a physical Denny Poffin. They had Clark Gillies, they had Bobby Tonelli, and this Eric Nystrom, or Bob Nystrom, excuse me. Eric's the other Their goalie would Bob fight. Nystrom. Their like, goalie they would had fight. that type of style, and that's what makes Tampa so dangerous. And to your point... This series is far from over, even though people are, I mean, tip, I mean, and this is why I'm saying, as you know, the hashtag least fan here, there's the obvious Toronto, you know, everyone on social media saying, yes, the series is over. We won. It's in the bag. And I'm like, it is. No, that's not how this series works at all. You look at Montreal and Toronto last year, and it's oh, like, yeah. that was a series. It's like, that's a matchup everyone was so excited for. And then we kind of lacked the physicality. Didn't lack the drama, obviously. Um, but it's like, man, imagine like Tampa Bay and Toronto. This, based off games earlier this season, this could get ugly. And I think that could be fun. Uh, it's too bad Jack Campbell's such a nice guy because we won't get a goalie fight. Also, I don't know if I'd want to fight Vasilevsky. His like, chest protector is bigger than everyone else in the league. Hey, that means but, he can't uh, punch. That's what happened with Ryan Miller and Jonathan Bernier, remember? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't. Th- I think Campbell can't punch either for the sole fact he wouldn't. He's too nice. He's too busy watching Ozark and having like sandwiches or something. Um, but he'd get, uh, get Vasilevsky would come in with the, the, the big eyes of his and Campbell would be like, it's okay, buddy. And he'll get, they'll be the two people that go each other and give each other a hugs during a skirmish or whatever. And just like, here, let's just hold each other. Someone fights us. Well, see, it's like you look at, you know, the, the classic shot of Ray Emery getting the fight to the Sabres and he took his helmet off. And he seemed just smiling and looking like he's having a great time. Ray like, could Emery, you imagine Vasilevsky? Razor was a psychopath, though. I love the guy to do it. He was crazy. <laughs> That was fun though. That was great. But could you imagine seeing like Vasilevsky like ooh like going to challenge a fight? The camera zooms in like that'd be the most epic broadcast shot of all time. And then That's Marty Biron sitting there. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? 
<laughs> it's like, uh-oh. And then it's like, Andrew Peters, please come here. And then it's like, you get like Wayne Simmons to go fight Vasilevsky. And then you, there you go. You're, you, you've solved it there. But uh, yeah, there's uh, this, this is a team, the Leafs team, that looks like they're finally coming into their own based off a of recent play. And that's a good thing. But Tampa Bay Lightning are still the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you know what? If they if they lose in the physicality department, you know what? They still got Stamkos. They still got Kucherov. They still got Hedman. Yeah, and that's that's what makes this team so good. And and Andrew specified bigger guy than Riot to fight with. And and well, the reason why uh, Andrew I think is because Simmons was being dealt with by Corey Perry, and I forgot there was a third guy that was that Perry grabbed a hold of. I can't remember now off the top of my head. It wasn't Blackwell because Blackwell and Jan Ruta got into it, and that's what got Ruta cut because I don't know if his visor cut him or whatever, but. Long story short, a big skirmish, and man, Ray Emery was. Now I'm just thinking about Ray Emery. Then, it, I, to your point about Patrick Maroon going after Morgan Riley, all like the first thing that came to my mind of an unwilling combatant. We've had a couple this year, but Ray Emery going after Brayden Holpe. Remember that when he was in Philly? Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah. I remember that, and like that was the first thing that came to my head because Brayden Holpe doesn't want to fight. Like, yeah, he's a very intense guy, but he didn't want to fight. Ray Emery was just getting his teeth kicked in with the Flyers there, and thought. We got to do something here, boys. There's another goaltender. Sure. Go Jonathan Waugh and do that. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Again, Ray Emery was just, to me, will always be one of my favorite goalies to watch just because of you never knew what you were going to expect. It'd either be an unbelievable game, a terrible game, or he would go and punch somebody. And that, that was always fun to see kind of. It, we don't see goalies like that these days, but it's like, I'm trying to think of like a Leafs goalie that would be a good combatant for Vasilevsky these days from recent years and the only name I could think of is Jonas Gustafsson because to me I always felt like he he just got super intense under that mask I think I think well Mrazik is always very passionate he's always been passionate unfortunately but he, he would get hurt skating on the ice <laughs> oh yeah well he, he'd be jumping into a he'd be jumping into that pile Are you kidding me yeah of course of course he's been knocked out uh, remember the one time he got punched when he was with Carolina by Joe Thornton. Uh, Andrew asked what happened to Clifford. Andrew Clifford ended up getting one game for the hit on Ross Colton that led to the five-minute major power play that the Leafs killed off, which was a huge, huge kill, as we mentioned earlier on here with Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News here on World Hockey Report. T-Cool Tuesdays, wrapping up day one of action of the playoff action. Coming up, we'll still get to the the game between the Kings and the Oilers last night after we have our interview with Jack Michaels coming up here at the top of the hour. Uh, all sports fan Adam Steven comes in with, I predicted the lightning last night shifting to Toronto, not least because of the result itself, but signs are ominous. Things aren't right at Tampa. They lack consistency. Leafs confidence is only grown. Now this is a little bit of a criticism, Steve, because before the eight, one thrashing Tampa put on Toronto, a lot of people came at the bolt saying that they're tired. They're old. They played a lot of hockey the last two years. There's, I mean, shoot, there's a reason it's been 40 years, almost 40 years since we've had a three-peat champion in this league. Obviously, the salary cap has something to do with that. But to the point, it's it's certainly interesting to see that Tampa, like, will they run out of gas? But to your point, we mentioned this. I mean, they're a team that just says, hey, let's get in, then we'll worry about it then. Tampa won eight of their last 11 games, and I believe, like, one of them was an overtime loss in that run. So, like, they came in pretty hot. Uh, they came in as one of the hottest teams. And, again, that, that seemed like a Tampa team that almost at, like, 3 nothing kind of just gave up and just kind of started focusing for the next game. It's the playoffs. Anything can happen. You'll get the, the Leafs are playing in front of a home crowd for the first time since 2019. So they were really, like, living on that energy. And that was, a to me, a really big deal. Um for the the like the Leafs like or for the Lightning it, again they know what they're doing and I'm, people are saying they're tired but it's like 
I don't think that's a good excuse. It's like these are still professional athletes, the best of the best. And I'll, I'll say they're sh- tired with the, if they somehow end up losing all four games. That That's what I say. Uh, sure. That, yeah. But it's like it's like they played a really good game. They're a good stretch of games right before the playoffs. Are you saying like are people trying to suggest they just fell asleep or they just started partying or something all in between the games or they started to think about their last year. It's like, to me, I think maybe they went a little too overconfident. You look at the team, they were very, very relaxed on game day and it didn't seem to work. I'm all for being relaxed, but clearly didn't go their way. But it's like, just given how well they played at down the stretch, I don't, I don't buy into the tired thing unless they truly just get crushed the rest of the way, which I don't think anyone expects. It's it, We just finished game one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, it's it's a perfect way to overreact. It's I mean, that's what that's what hockey Twitter is all about. Hashtag hockey Twitter. And remember, of course, the lightning we mentioned the last time they've lost back to back games in the playoffs was in that series against the Columbus Blue Jackets back in 2019. Front row production jumps in saying, let's go caps. Hashtag all caps. We'll get to that later on when we talk about the cap series against the Panthers. Some certain some players confirmed to be playing in that series on both sides. Who's excited about tonight's game? Everyone is front row productions. And that's why, Steve, I'm going to wrap up this one with you here. Last question with you. Who, what series catches your eye in this first round that you're really intrigued with? Because there's a lot, obviously. There's the, the I said before, the old school classic-esque, given the fact that they used to be the Hartford Way. There's Adams division rivalry between the Bruins and the Canes. Oilers and Kings could, who knows how that one could shape up. The Blues and Wild beat the heck out of each other all season long, but it seems like Minnesota can't beat St. Louis. Six straight now for the Blues. And then we got all the games tonight, which includes the two top teams in the Western Conference taking on. And, of course, Nashville's going in severely handicapped with their starting goaltender out. What series catches Stephen Ellis' mind before, you know, as this first round goes on here, outside of Leafs Leafs and Tampa? Well, for me, there's there's two really that are catching my eye, which is LA Edmonton, and we saw that being kind of a crazy game last night. But for me, I picked the Kings to win that series, thinking just Jonathan Quick's going to be like five the, games. I said five. I, I I think I picked six, but I, part of it's just Jonathan Quick's going to go on this tear, and he's going to be legendary Jonathan Quick. But the other one is actually that Nashville uh, Colorado series. It's like you know what, this is an opportunity for David Riddick to be kind of that that big save Dave guy we saw a few years big ago, and he hasn't really been Dave. running into his own net. <laughs> Yes. He, yeah, that was an outstanding clip. One of the best hockey clips we've ever seen. Yep. Um, but this is something where he has an opportunity here to really kind of uh, prove what he's capable of, knowing that, you know what, next year, Yaroslav Askarov might be the backup goalie there. And he's trying to play for his career. And Michael Hutchinson did it for Colorado a couple of years ago, kind of saved his career by filling in basically as the third goalie for the Avalanche and coming in and having to play in the conference final. Um, but uh, we obviously know the Avs are the better team there. But Nashville is a team where Roman Yossi, you know how good he is. He can really limit a lot of that damage. And Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne and, and, and guys like that and Ryan Jansen, it's a solid team. I still think Colorado's going to easily win that one, but that's the one where we could really be shocked by the goaltender. Sorry, I heard my dog barking all of a sudden. I got confused for a second. I'm like, what in the world's going on out there outside my house? My little Wicks, my little Haley Wickenheiser Corgi is very passionate about the game. She was actually pretty calm last night during all the fights, which is usually crazy. Usually she barks like mad. Um, Eddie 52 says, why did Spurgeon get a suspension? Eddie, quick answer. Or, excuse me. That's SZ. Is that an S or a five? That is a five. That's Eddie five Z saying that Spurgeon, why didn't he get a suspension? I say it's because Pavel Bushnevich wasn't actually hurt. We talked about that earlier. The four nothing win last night for the blues over the wild. And you know what, Steve, I'm going to throw you on this one here. Throw it right at you. Who'd you pick to win the cup? 
I picked Tampa Bay. <laughs> Funny enough, we talked about them. They were my pick at the beginning of the season, and if, as long as they were they're still in the old, playoffs, they're tired. They win the cup. <laughs> I still think they're going to beat Colorado. It's going to go six games off of two final wins for Tampa at the end of that series. But I still, I've never picked a team to win back to back, but I've picked Tampa Bay to win three years in a row. I can't remember if I picked them. I I went round by round last year, but I still hold it on my head that going into that 2019 series, I said that Tampa Bay was going to win in 2020 because they were doing exactly what the wings did in 96, 62 wins win the next year after getting knocked out in the playoffs that year in 96. And darn it, I was right. 500 plus days later. That's the one, that's my one thing I put on my resume next to 2006 time person of the year. Of well, course. I'll beat you with that. I'll beat you with that. My brother, he he doesn't like hockey, but one year he picked uh, Slovakia to finish third of the World Juniors. They finished third of the World Juniors that year. Well, I don't think anyone else. What, 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 which that. year was that? 2015 in Canada. Who was on that team? That was the um, uh, Dennis Godlow, the goalie. The every game he played, he made like 60 saves. If that's like. right, and like nope. and they get and Canada killed him, and they gave him a standing ovation or whatever. Nobody thought Slovakia was going to even make the playoffs, let alone finish third. <laughs> yeah, no, that that team, that was a 2015. Of course, that was in the midst of the 10 year drought for Canada at the World Juniors as well. So like that was a we need to win, guys, or else mm-hmm. we're going to blow this whole thing up because, boy, there was I mean, there's a laundry list of great players that played for Canada. But like but then there was guys like Alex Galchenyuk for the United States and Johnny Gaudreau and other guys that just ruined the party for everybody. Oh, John Gibson mm-hmm. as well. There was another guy. Holy cow. John Carlson. Johnny Don't Carlson. Don't get me started on that game, Stephen. I still have <laughs> nightmares. But Peyton Turnage and I were talking about that game. I was playing golf on Friday. He called me and I had my earpiece in and we were talking about it. That that was like still one of the wildest games I think I've ever watched. The hype for that game was so real because... You know, it was the first time since 2004 that the U.S. was in the gold medal game, and it was Canada in the U.S. in Saskatoon, junior hockey barn. I love those junior barns for World Juniors, man. I, I wish we could go back to it, but it's it seems like they want to stay with the NHL arenas, but the crowd was intense. That game was straight out of 1985. Mike Lee and uh, Jake Allen both get pulled, and Martin Jones and Jack Campbell. Both goaltenders still playing today in the National Hockey League. Somehow made it through that game, except Martin Jones. For some reason, thinking he's going to pass it across, even though it's a two-on-one. You take the shooter, you stand there, and you stop it. It's an easy job. It's been 12 years. I'm still angry about it. I have no comment on that game. No com- Why? That hurts still. Well, okay. What hurts more? That game or Russia the next year? In Buffalo. Well, okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> Mark Byzantine, ladies and gentlemen. That's like asking if I what's game what's better, getting shot or stabbed. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you get because if you get least if anything, you can get shot and you get the bullet pulled out right away. If you get stabbed, you can't pull the knife out. You have to let it sit there. Just you That's just right in front of you. Are you are you talking from experience? I hope not. Yeah, no, man, it's gonna be crazy. Of course, we're gonna have to talk to you, Stephen, coming up here because in August we have the World Junior Championships coming up, and it's gonna. They say Calgary or Edmonton. I forgot. It'll be Edmonton and I'll be there. Oh boy. Steven else will be on location at Edmonton. Are they going to do a hard bubble? Or you think they're going to do it like they tried to do before in Red Deer and Edmonton? Uh, given, given the COVID situation, I think they honestly will just kind of do what they did before, except uh, this time they're probably not as worried. I don't know. You still got to be careful. It's still COVID, but I don't know. They, I think, I feel like they're going to have fans this time around, but they're probably going to still have the 
teams at that hotel and can only go from the rink to the hotel probably just given the fact they want to get through this thing unlike they couldn't do earlier in December of this year last year I'll say it was pretty crazy to see how crazy that Leafs game was last night given I remember on January 5th which what it should have been the the uh the outdoor or the uh, world junior final I was at Toronto versus Edmonton and there were no fans allowed it was just surreal to see that change in a few months just to know, man, in, in, in three or four months, geez, my goodness, four months that we go from no fans to having a full packed house at Scotiabank Arena, which makes it a fun atmosphere. And the fact that the crowd was great, the entire game was awesome. Maple Leaf Square, of course, bumping as well, because unfortunately, there's no Jurassic Park anymore because everyone decided to say hashtag raps in four and jinx it, Stephen. Anyways, before I go on that soapbox, we've been chatting up here with the hockey news of Stephen Ellis. Be sure to follow him, guys, on Twitter at Stephen Ellis, T-H-N as well as follow the Hockey News at the Hockey News. Steven, thanks again for taking the time to chat some hockey with us here. And we'll definitely have to talk soon, man, because like we said, we got the draft coming up and World Juniors in August. Should be a fun little summer we got coming up here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tyler. All right. That was Steven Ellis from the Hockey News. And a great guy, as always. Always have fun chatting with him every single time. And yeah, no, he's a good guy. Good guy with... One of the, like I said, one of the best. Him and Tony Ferrari put out some great pieces of the U18s as well. So we want to check those out about the upcoming prospects, the next wave of talent in the world of hockey. Check them out at the Hockey News, guys. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have the interview with Jack Michaels that we recorded before game one. I must specify that because unfortunately, obviously we were maybe people were a little bit more excited, maybe a little bit more, I don't say jacked up, but you know, it seemed like Oilers fans thought they had a little bit more confidence going into game one. Game two, though, not so much. We'll get to that interview when we come back here on World Hockey Report. Hockey fans feel the action like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals assists, saves, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Take your game to the next level with Pro Rock Hockey Sticks. Pro Rock is changing the way we buy top-of-the-line twigs. They're lightweight, balanced, and provide the perfect kick point. Whether you're a pro hockey player or a beer league legend, Pro Rock Hockey Sticks are made for you. They're at a price point you can't beat, so check them out today at ProRock.com. Play like a Pro Rock.
And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, here to World Hockey Report here on this Tuesday, T-Cool Tuesdays, here on World Hockey Report. Big bunch of playoff games last night. Obviously, we mentioned already off the top of the show, we talked about Carolina's big 5-1 win over the Bruins and 4-0 winners, the Blues, were over the Minnesota Wild games coming up later tonight, the Caps and the Panthers, as well as the other Eastern Conference game that I can't remember off the top of my head for some dumb reason, the Atlantic Division game. Uh, or the Metro Division game, excuse me. My goodness, my brain just not working today. The Rangers and Penguins, big game coming up there. Preds and Avs, Stars and Flames. Before we get to those games, guys, we need to talk about the last game that happened last night, LA and Edmonton. Now, before we give our analysis, I give my analysis at least, we're going to take a quick little look back. An interview I did yesterday before game one, Jack Michaels was able to kind enough to take some time to chat about the Edmonton Oilers and their upcoming series with the Los Angeles Kings. Before that, guys, I got to remind you that if you are looking to add that closet, add to that closet this coming summer, go check out 12OunceSportsRadio.com slash store for all of your World Hockey Report merchandise from hats to hoodies and everything in between. 12OunceSportsRadio.com slash store has you covered with all of your favorite World Hockey Report swag. And now my interview with the voice of the Edmonton Oilers for over a decade now, Jack Michaels. And now I am glad to be joined, honored to be joined by the voice of the Edmonton Oilers. Been over there for over a decade now, and also the former voice of the Alaska Aces of the ECHL. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Jack Michaels. Jack, how are you doing today, man? Father, pleasure being on again. I appreciate the return offering. It must have meant that I wasn't too bad the last time. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Jack, because I remember very vividly the first time we talked, I messed up who the Oilers were going to play in a certain playoff. I thought they, in the bubble that year, were in the top four. And I'm pretty sure some Oilers fans wish that was the case, obviously, with things how it went against Chicago in that qualifying round. But I'm going to ask you here, before we get to the team on the ice this year, what has changed since then? Because when we talked almost two years ago now, we were talking about how you were going to call all the games in the radio station on a monitor. And obviously that carried over a little bit into last season as well. But how have things gotten back to quote unquote normal, if at all up there in Edmonton? Well, I mean, I, I did about half and half this year. So, you know, it, it was not, it was not what I would have hoped for in terms of a complete return to normalcy and all the games and the buildings, the way that, you know, all of us in this business enjoy, but uh, I did about half. In fact, almost exactly half. I did 21 off of monitors and uh, 20 live and in person. And of the 21 off of monitors, I actually ended up doing five games at the Sky Dome in Toronto. Uh, you really? Get off of just, uh, you know, the remote production have to, ha- happened to originate from there for whatever reason. Could you? I, I've always talked about that with people. What would it be like to have a game at the Sky Dome? Because when they were long ago, when they were first, you know, implementing that Toronto would have an outdoor game. This was during the Brian Burke era. Everyone's like, they can't play at BMO. It's too small. Do you think a game could work at the Sky Dome? A, a hockey game? I, I don't know. I mean, I'd certainly, uh, you know, rather see a hockey game, you know, in person at the Sky Dome than the one I did off of mine. Oh, right, but, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't necessarily, I can't necessarily tell you whether it'd be a suitable venue or not, but, uh, you know, I, I think for me, the outdoor games have, uh, I, I would like to 
and I think we're getting back to it. I, I think they're always better when you do uh, when you do one or here or there. I, I think we had that glut of outdoor games where uh, it stopped being a novelty for me. But I think uh, you know moving forward, I think most teams will will get back to you know having maybe one or two a year, and and in that in that case, it still remains special. I, I think I think there was too much volume for a while for me at least with the outdoor game. Yeah, because I, I forget one year there was like six or something like that, and there was like one. It seemed like every other weekend during the winter time. So yeah, some a little bit more of a it would be a novelty. You're right if there was a few less in the game like we kind of had this season but let, let's turn things over here to the Oilers this season you know it's it's been an odd one right Jack I mean they start off hot they're one of the best teams in the league and next thing you know we flash our eyes and they've lost 13 of 15 games you know Leon Dreisaitl is going at it with members of the media this has been a roller coaster year but that being said Jack right now when we're talking the Oilers are sitting in a good spot well, I mean, you know, I I would echo that. I mean, Edmonton obviously has secured home ice advantage in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think it will be more meaningful and have more an impact uh, to the Oilers than some other teams in the National Hockey League. I would suggest to you that, you know, having home ice last year against Winnipeg in the first round, you know, quite frankly, didn't mean as much. I mean, other than the building – with which they were familiar, you know, there's no fans, there's no energy. So how could you really call it a home ice advantage? There's nothing like springtime hockey in Edmonton when the club is playing well and there are 18,000 juiced up fans ready for it. And so I think this year we'll have a more accurate picture of that. And the way I look at it is the last time the Oilers were in the playoffs with fans, in 2017, they had a home ice advantage in the first round and won the series. They didn't in the second round and lost the series. So, for me, home ice does mean something. Uh, the turnaround that's been sparked uh, to some degree by, by Jay Woodcroft, I mean, it's hard to ignore what he's done with a 24-9-3 and record taking over for Dave Tippett. I think this team, uh, the way it's configured right now with the of Evander Kane and Zach Hyman on the wings and the determination to keep Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisettle separated, I would suggest to you that Edmonton has among the deepest forward groups in the National Hockey League. Their defense has remained healthy for the most part. Darnell Nurse is nicked up but expected to be ready to go for game one of the postseason. And right now, at least, I mean, name another goalie that's hotter than Mike Smith. So it would seem going into the postseason that not many hockey clubs are playing better and getting better goaltending than the Edmonton Oilers. Which is crazy, too, you know, Jack, because that's been the, the point of discussion for the last couple of years. You know, if it's not Mike Smith, can it be Miko Koskinen? And Koskinen certainly had his starts where he's really showing up, but there have been times that he's sometimes shown that he's maybe not quite up to the NHL speed as of yet. But having Mike Smith as your guy, you know, this we talked about it before. This is a guy that has the, he has the playoff pedigree. He played with Calgary, he took Arizona, excuse me, at the time, the Phoenix Coyotes, excuse me, to the Western Conference Finals. 
you know, people keep pointing at the age with him, Jack, but it just seems like, you know, there's a guy down in Minnesota now, Marc-Andre Fleury. Sometimes the old guys can play pretty well. <laughs> well, that's true. And, and you know, I, I will say this for Miko Koskin. It's amazing the turnaround we've seen in the last month here. I mean, Miko was on, I believe, a 12-2-2 tear when he became sick and not, not COVID sick, but an illness that kept him out of a couple games in California. Mike Smith had been struggling, but he won those games against some subpar California teams in San Jose and Anaheim, and then he just got on a serious roll. He beat L.A. You know, he, he pitched a shutout in Nashville. He shut out Vegas. I mean, he's just been playing at or near the top of his game uh, for the last month, and all of a sudden, Miko Koskinen, who it looked like had kind of cemented his hold on the number one, is given way to Mike Smith. And now I think there's very little question around the club that a guy playing as well as Mike Smith is playing right now would have to be your number one heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And to your point, yeah, it's certainly a good thing when you have two goaltenders, especially in today's game, that can both play really well. And Mike Smith has been doing that. And like you mentioned, Koskinen, too. Let's jump to the forward group here, and I'm not going to bother you with the questions about McDavid and Drysdale, even though, I mean, holy cow, they're still one of the best one-two punches ever. Uh, by the way, I looked up this stat today. They both are going to be, they both have over 100 points. McDavid, of course, with 122 points. Uh, we are close to possibly having, Jack, you ready for this? The last time you had more than eight 100-point scorers in the NHL, which is where we're at now as we're talking, that was 95-96 when there were 10. Scoring's back up, and I think the offense is coming back around in the league, Jack, eh? Oh, no question. And we've had a lot of, for the first time since 95-96 around the league. I mean, you know, the first time a defenseman has put up 90 points, uh, you know, first here. I mean, it's kind of crazy how much that season, you know, we've gone back to. Uh, You know, Austin Matthews with 60 goals, that's the first time in 10 years. That's happened, and, uh, you know, the list goes on. The Oilers are, you know, blessed to have two 100-point scorers on the club, but, again, I I can't illustrate how important uh, the midseason acquisition of Evander Kane, along with the coaching change, uh, those are are two significant moves that have really helped push Edmonton to the next level. I'm not sure, uh, you know, and they're related to each other. I'm not sure, you know, if if either or both of those moves don't happen, I'm not sure Edmonton's clinched anything right now. And, in fact, with wave certain clubs have played down the stretch, including Los Angeles, who I believe is, is, you know, sitting on 96 points, which is good enough to get into the postseason most years. But, you know, without that push, uh, maybe Edmonton's not getting in at all. Over in the Eastern Conference, you've got, for the first time ever, all the playoff clubs having hit 100 points. So it's been a big year on a number of fronts. It's been the year of the power play. You know, 20% on the power play used to get you probably third or fourth in the league. Now it's middle of the pack. Uh, as you said, not only the 100-point scores, but, you know, I mean, Chris Kreider's got 51 goals. You've got three guys, you know, hitting 50 for the first time in a long time. So, uh, I think it's I think it's been great, and I to be honest with you, one of the reasons I think it's been great is I don't think it necessarily means it's been a terrible year for the goaltenders. I just think 
there's much more skill on the third and fourth lines than there ever has been in the National Hockey League. And what that means is not so much just at the top in terms of point and goal concentration, but you're seeing more guys with 15, more guys with 20 than than in a long time, as you said, probably a quarter century. Yeah, and don't worry, though. Goaltender Union, we had a meeting last night. The goalies will figure it out in a couple of years. We're back down to 30 goals being a lot in the National Hockey League. They'll figure it out. Uh, but, you know, you, you mentioned a guy. Oh, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, but you, you mentioned Evander Kane there for a moment, and that was one player I really wanted to bring up here because let, let's be honest, Jack. It was, a very, it was pretty controversial for a lot of people that – Kenny Holland brought him into the Oilers' fold, obviously with the history off the ice issues over there in San Jose before, well, if you want to go back even to his Buffalo and Winnipeg days, now with the Edmonton Oilers. But certainly there's something we've seen with Evander Kane that's to no one's surprise. This is a great hockey player. 39 points in 41 games. I mean, people look at the stat lines. If you go on Hockey Reference or Hockey DB right now, I think, oh, look at the drop-off between McDavid and Drysaddle and everyone else. If Evander Kane plays 75 games this year, he's right up there with them, Jack. He's really been a real contributor. And like you mentioned, a difference to why the Edmonton Oilers have already clinched a playoff spot. Well, he's a power forward who loves to shoot the puck. Uh, he does a lot of things well right around the net, which is where you want to be. Uh, you know, and again, and he's, a, he's got a shot first mentality. And I, I think, you know, too often in the National Hockey League, even with Edmonton, you know, two best players, McDavid or Drysdale. There's a handful of times where you want to say, you know, shoot the puck there, right? They're they're still pass first players. I I still think there's you know room for a shot first mentality with certain guys in the league. I, I love to see it. And Evander Kane uh, shoots the puck and he shoots the puck hard. He has a physical presence on a line that features Connor McDavid. I don't think that necessarily a bad thing either in terms of being somewhat of a deterrent a guy who could play but also a guy that is going to ensure the other team doesn't take liberties with some of your you know highest end elite skill and then again he's got that elite skill and that elite finish that you covet in a guy with his size and ability and again a, a guy not afraid to shoot it so he's checked off all the boxes he scored some penalty. He scored some goals on the penalty kill. He touches all areas. He's a, he's a fixture on both units. Uh, he can take draws when need be. He, he's an extremely versatile, accomplished player, a veteran, physical presence who is fearless and plays in straight lines toward the net. Uh, that's a that's a hot commodity. And with the Oilers, I, I can tell you, there's been absolutely no distraction. Uh, time will tell, of course, whether or not, you know, he signs a longer-term deal with the Edmonton Oilers, and then I imagine those questions might come up again. But, you know, by all accounts, he's been a model teammate and a tremendous player. That's a pretty good combo in my book. Absolutely, especially, you know, you, you we mentioned, I mean, for the longest time, everyone thought it was a two-headed monster, and having him there, and you mentioned Hyman. And one more player I want to get to, before we before we talk about the playoff matchup coming up here with LA, it's Evan Bouchard. I mean, my I, I remember this guy. I myself, I'm a London Knights fan, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I made half of Ontario angry that I cheer for the powerful London Knights and the Hunter brothers and all them. But like this guy has been, I always knew he's going to be a great prospect, but really this year, this is, has been his coming out party. He has been fantastic. What have you seen from the young defenseman? 
Well, especially in recent weeks, I've seen a little bit more engagement physically. Uh, not, you know, he's not a, he's never going to be a tough guy. And when I say physically, everyone automatically thinks, oh, he's fighting, he's cross-checking guys. I just mean that generally harder on the puck, more engaged, more willingness to try the puck out of battles. Uh, just a, a general level of engagement that I, I haven't seen. And he just played his 100th game last night in Pittsburgh, and it was a it was one of his best games of the year. He's shooting the puck from everywhere. I mean, that's the thing with Evan Bouchard. When he's feeling it, he's another guy that isn't afraid to pull the trigger, and he's got a tremendous shot, as you know. Oh, yeah. At times this year, particularly on the power play, he's been a little too deferential. And, you know, again, it's tough for a guy that up until last night hadn't even played 100 games in the league to consider himself a man or to consider his weapon better than the other weapons on the ice. But the fact of the matter is, is he's got the best shot from the point on the club to use it. And uh, he's been using it more often. And when he's playing that way and, and being confident and making hard plays in the corner and being a little bit more difficult to play against in his own end and bearing down in his own end, then I think you've got the kind of NHL defenseman that's going to be a fixture in the league for a decade and a half. And oh, that's where 100%. I think I've seen that's where I think I've seen the biggest growth in Evan Bouchard is he's always had the shot. He's always had the vision, uh, but he's playing with a little bit more pace. Sometimes out of junior guys try to slow the game down to what they're accustomed to. And I think Evan at times has been guilty of that. But as the season has wore on, he started to look more and more like an NHL player playing an NHL game rather than an NHL player trying to slow things down or, or tailor the game to his skill set. I think he's playing with the pace and the intensity he needs to play with. And I think it's kind of shot his improvement up along, along the board. In other words, what I mean by that, as he's become harder to play against in his own zone, it's translated into more confidence with the things he does naturally well and that he's done for years as well as anyone has from the back end. And that's shoot the puck and distribute it. And that's why he's got over 40 points at the time we're recording this. 42 right now, top five on the hockey club here for Edmonton. We are talking with the voice of the Edmonton Oilers, Jack Michaels, right now here on World Hockey Report. Jack, let's get into it here. The playoff demons for the last couple seasons for Edmonton are probably still a little prevalent with some folks, but like we mentioned off the top, having fans there will be important in this series against the Los Angeles Kings. Edmonton has won the last three meetings, three out of four this season here. This is a different L.A. team from the last time the Kings were really a playoff team. They're not just these big-hitting Daryl Sutter guys, even though Daryl Sutter still in that Pacific division. This is a fast team. They got some wheels with the older guys as well. But Jonathan Quick's getting older. How will he be in the playoffs? No Drew Doughty, which is not going to help them at all. How do the Oilers match up in this series with Los Angeles? I think if Edmonton remains patient, uh, as they have down the stretch when they've encountered various low-scoring games, including a couple against Los Angeles, then I think the Oilers still will ultimately prevail. Uh, it's not going to be a series that I anticipate both teams getting tons of chances each and every night. L.A.'s 
you know, brand hasn't changed all that much. And Todd McClellan has talked about this. Uh, they've got some skill on that hockey club, but organizationally, they're still a checking team first and foremost. And that's what this, the strength of LA remains. It's the ability to check and continue to check over the course of a full 60 minute game. But when you look at the rosters, and say each team gets five or six chances, the money has to be on Edmonton converting more of those chances than Los Angeles because their depth and their highest end of elite skill is greater than L.A. Andre Kopitar has had a nice year, but he's not in the same class as a Drysdale or a McDavid. Uh, as you said, no Drew Doughty to play 30 minutes a night for you and, and challenge McDavid and Dreisaitl on a nightly basis. Uh, the Kings are going to play hard. There's a lot of youthful enthusiasm there. There's fearlessness there. I mean, this club has not backed down from Edmonton when it's played, even when it's been undermanned, and hasn't had some of those veteran pieces in their lineup. They're starting to get healthier. Jonathan Quick has played well down the stretch. But I feel like he's really the one X factor. I mean, he's going to have to be unbelievable for this series to get the six or seven games, in my estimation. Now, I also would tell you he's more than capable of that. And I think if Clay does anything in the playoffs, it's going to be because of Jonathan Quick, not Cal Peterson. So that's the X factor, having said all that, for the reasons I've already outlined I see Edmonton winning in five or six games. It could be interesting. I mean, Carey Price pretty much dragged Montreal to the finals last year, so we'll have to wait and see who comes away in the the Wayne Gretzky rivalry series, if you will. I don't mean to throw any more salt for the Oilers fans there, but, but, you know, Gretzky did beat the Oilers when he was with the Kings, but that's okay. But, you know, hey, if all goes well, Jack, we might have a battle of Alberta in round two, maybe knock on wood. Yeah, that'd be the first time since 1991 a battle of Alberta in the playoffs. Edmonton won that series in seven. Of course, most people remember that series for Theo Fleury's length of the ice but. Uh, celebration on his knees after scoring an OT winner at the Northlands Coliseum in game six. As you mentioned, I mean, yeah, you're right. Gretzky and, and the Kings did win a postseason series against Edmonton in 89, but then they lost the next three years in 1991 and 92. So it's the first time in 30 years Edmonton and L.A. have played as well. So there's going to be a lot of nostalgia, but it's about this year. And ultimately, I think, uh, you know, if if you look at the clubs objectively, you just have to think the Oilers have more weapons in their arsenal. Uh, You mentioned, you know, Terry Price's heroics. And that's exactly what Jonathan Quick is going to have to do again for L.A. to extend Edmonton in this series. It's certainly going to be a fun one. It's going to be great to see Rogers' place packed to the brim for this playoffs. And hopefully, Jack, you get to call deep into the spring months here for the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs here. Guys, be sure to follow Jack at Edmonton Jack on Twitter, giving you a setup for each and every game. And also catch him live on the radio. The voice of the Edmonton Oilers joining me once again here on World Hockey Report, Jack Michaels. Thank you very much, man, for taking the time once again. And and have some good calls this playoffs postseason, eh? Always a pleasure, Tyler. My son's name is in 
is Tyler, so you're in very good company. The best name from the mid-90s. I tell everyone that all the time. <laughs> you take care, Jack. Take care. And welcome back here, folks, to World Hockey Report. Thank you once again, of course, to Edmonton Jack, Jack Michaels, for joining me on World Hockey Report. Andrew says, good job, Jack. Always a good job, Jack. I Listen, that, that was one of my favorite parts because Jack has, over the last couple of seasons, been doing a lot of TV games for Sportsnet for the local regional games, and I have ESPN+. Plus. So I get to watch a lot of the local feeds, obviously not for the playoffs, but you know, I got to I get to listen to them and I, I like listening to them on the radio, but you know, getting to see them on TV is kind of cool too. So let's let's address that game. And I'll actually know let's address some of the people that have been jumping in the comment section here while that interview was going on. One side of playoff games are only fun for fans of the winning team, Richard Farley. You know what, Rich, you're not wrong. But the problem is, like, as a broadcaster myself. I really don't like one-sided games because, unfortunately, you, you kind of get a little, I don't want to say disinterested, but you kind of fall out. You really, I don't say you don't care, but it's just like, it's, yeah, you know, the game goes on and everything is fine with that, but it just, it, it doesn't have a that that same kind of zing to it, you know? And, and it, of course, then again, you know, if you watch the Leafs, if it's a 4 nothing game, I was not secure about that game last night against Tampa until it was 5 nothing. Like, ah, 5 nothing. That's only happened once to Toronto in their history. I think we're okay uh, for those that don't remember. 2000, the St. Louis Blues came back and tied the Toronto Maple Leafs 5. No, they lost in overtime. They were a 5 nothing lead for the Curtis Joseph Toronto Maple Leafs back in the early 2000s. Um, Andrew Bouchent. Andrew, I'm, I'm going to try to say it. Is it Bouchent? Bouchent? Uh, what is Kane? Or he is a good player. He can hit and score. What is Kane doing? Evander Kane, you know, it's one playoff game for him and the Edmontoners, which we'll get to here in a second. Um, definitely for Richard. When did Drew Doughty retire? Drew Doughty did not retire. He had to have season-ending surgery. That's why Drew Doughty is out of the lineup. Even though, from what we saw last night, guys, it did not matter for the Los Angeles Kings. Is the Eichel curse officially a thing, Richard? I believe so. Uh, Richard, we will get to the Rangers and Penguins here in just a minute, but he says the Penguins in six, five on play. We'll get to that. We'll get to my opinion here in just a minute, Richard. But let's look back at this game last night between L.A. and Edmonton. That line, Philip Deneau, Alex Iafalo, and former Toronto Maple Leaf Trevor Moore, that line was so effective last night. They combined for seven points. Now, I'm not saying that that was going to be the line that we all had to watch out for, but now it is the line that everyone's paying attention to. Because remember, Philip Deneau was the offseason acquisition for Rob Blake that really thought was going to kind of spark this team because they needed a center to complement Andre Kopitar. Something they have not had in the last how many years, right? Even though, yes, Kopitar was the team-leading scorer to no one's surprise. Dustin Brown had a good year. Of course, Drew Dowdy would have had a better year if his season had not been cut short. But we saw last night why Philip Deneau is a very capable player and why he was so big for the Montreal Canadiens run to the finals last year. Great two-way centerman and has offensive production. Let's we'll kind of go through the game. We'll address the big gaffe in the third period here in just a moment. But how about that first goal though? Great feed by Philip Deneau to get to Ayafalo to set up Trevor Moore with a beautiful shot. That got the Kings out in front. And then Ayafalo shortly there later scores to make it two nothing. They were off and running Connor McDavid, though, helps his team get back in the game. End-to-end goal. Kai Yamamoto makes it 2-2. And then you get a goal from Brendan Lemieux, which Mike Smith going lateral right to left made a little bit of a tougher save from, but Brendan Lemieux beats him. 
uh, was it Bob Stoffer on the broadcast saying, look, making them, or it wasn't Bob Stoffer. Um, who was calling the game with, it wasn't Gary Gallagher. Who was calling the game with Ariane Singh last night? Oh, I can't remember, uh, for on Sportsnet, but it was, it was kind of funny. Like you could tell, like, he's like, oh, he's like, Cla- like his dad, Claude Lemieux. And a lot of people on the East side are like, no, no one wants to be like Claude Lemieux. Um, but I, I, I think the, the game really started to take a turn. Dry makes that ties it up at three just for the halfway mark. Great shot. But as we were watching the game and we saw what Jack said, we heard what Jack said. And of course we were talking with Steven Ellis earlier from the hockey news before the break. Jonathan Quick is going to determine if the Kings can get through this. I picked LA in five. Now, I know, and I remember I was talking with Cody Jansen, your host for World Hockey Report on Wednesdays and every other Thursday here today's playoffs. I really, we talked about how the reason why I said that is because if I'm going to pick a goaltender to choose to trust, I'm sorry, Mike Smith is not my guy. And that's because of the fact that look at his track record. Yes, I know 2012 happened. That was a decade ago, kids. That was 10 years ago. 2019 with Calgary. I know he don't get the, you don't get the full blame for that one, but they lost to Colorado. 2020 and 2021, same story. Finding ways to just give up weak goals, and we saw it here in the third period. Tie game. Edmonton's in it. They have a chance to win on home ice, even though they're wearing the disgusting, ugly, dark blue with orange trim jerseys. Yes, I'm sorry. I know I'm going to make half of Northern Alberta mad when I say this, but I'm sorry. Those sweaters are not the ones I'd want to see the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. I'd rather just see them either wear the reverse retros last year or the orange crest sweaters. Bring those back or whatever. But no, not not the dark blue ones, guys. I'm sorry. Not, not my cup of tea here. But Mike Smith gets the puck behind his own net. And yes, Mike Smith went to the Marty Berdur, Marty Turco school of puck handling for goaltenders. He's an excellent puck handler. But where was the brain fart here where he says, I have an idea. Instead of going up to my forward or my defenseman, my winger over here on the side, out of harm's way, I'm going to try to send this puck up the ice for a long stretch pass. It's going to go for a goal. Turned over. Yes, did he make a save? 100%. It was a magnificent save. The problem was, though, the play continues on. Sean Dursey with a point shot tipped in by Philip Deneau. L.A. wins game one, four, three. This is why. This is why I think Edmonton's going to lose this series because of the fact that the goaltending is a question mark. I don't think Miko Koskinen's, I, I don't know what he could have done differently. I don't think Koskinen plays the puck there. Maybe that's the only difference in the game last night. But once again, the Oilers, similar to the Leafs, just snake bitten in the playoffs. Now, I know a lot of you are going to come out here and scream in the comment section that, yes, Edmonton did win a playoff series in 2017 and has won a playoff series since both lockouts. Something Toronto has not done, of course, in 18 years. But it with this stacked team, this super talent, the two, two of the best players in the National Hockey League, two of the best players in the world, but having a team around them that's just incapable of supporting them in these playoffs. And like I mentioned, Yamamoto, yes, he got a goal. But once again, he was on the power play. He was on the ice with McDavid and Dreisaitl. McDavid with a goal, Dreisaitl a goal, which is a change, obviously, from their series with Winnipeg last year, albeit. But, you know, while we, while I harp on Mike Smith for that gaffe, another goaltending gaffe for him in the playoffs, Jonathan, quick, guys. Holy cow. Like, you know, Jack and I were talking about it. We're like, yeah, Jonathan Quick's there, but it's not 2014. It's not 2012. Same with Mike Smith. You know, can he do it? Well, <laughs> at least through 60 minutes, he certainly did. 36 saves for the old man, the Smythe Trophy winner. 
former Consight Trophy winner, Jonathan Quick, and the amount of big saves he made. Like, I don't know what time capsule he found or whatnot, or if he went back and watched his old highlights, but he looked like vintage Jonathan Quick last night, guys. And that is what is dangerous for the Edmonton Oilers in this series, the Wayne Gretzky rivalry here. Because if Jonathan Quick stands on his head, guys, somebody we saw Billy Huso do to Minnesota, even the big guns for Edmonton are going to be in a little bit of trouble. I expect Edmonton to come out hard. I expect Mike Smith to try to have a bounce back game. But if they can't make them, if they keep making mental errors with the puck in their own zone, LA and five, like I said, I'm so, it's, it's not going to be easy for them. Chris, I mean, I mentioned the I follow goal. Chris Russell trying to do the Darnell nurse swinging around the boards out of the zone. Everyone in the arena is like, that's not a good idea, Christopher. And guess what he does? I know his name's not Christopher, but just going with it anyways. What happens? Turnover, goal. I mean, it's just, it's been going on with this team. Same thing. I mean, listen, I'd be saying the exact same thing about the Maple Leafs if they had a brain fart last night against Tampa. Because both of these teams, despite both sides of the country looking at each other, hating each other for it, they find ways to lose game in the playoffs, lose games, even though they shouldn't. And amazing cook one, four, three saying, turn back the clock to 2014. Literally with that start last night, 100%. He says that the Oilers get eliminated. My bracket is screwed. And that is why kids, I never bet on hockey or try to make picks. All right. I mean, I make picks, but you know, let's be honest here. You know, just for fun. I, I would never, I would never be a bet man in hockey because it is bad. Um, Richard Farley says if Edmonton is knocked out early, I can already hear the rumblings. I don't know. I, the, the team is good, you know. It's not like the team is bad. I I think I I really think right now that this team is on the right foot. I think Jeremy uh, I think Jeremy Rutherford's done a great job and 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 whatnot. I think uh, I really excuse me, Jay Woodcroft. I was thinking Jim Rutherford. I was sorry, I was going back in the Vancouver page we had earlier on in the show. Jay Woodcroft. I think he's doing a great job as the coach. He should be the coach next year if you ask me. The way he was able to write this ship that was looking pretty abysmal when Dave Tippett was fired. But I don't know. I, what can you change? I mean, it's obviously, yes, the goaltending is the big question mark. And unfortunately, they're still dwelling on the fact that they were outbid by the Calgary Flames for Jacob Markstrom. They're still doing the woe was me in Edmonton for that. And that's what kind of annoys me. I'm like, listen, I mean, figure it out. I know they've lost a lot of first round picks and second round picks over the years. And thanks to Kenny Holland and whatnot, but you got to find a way to get through that. So we will have to wait and see here what they do in the off season. If it gets to the off season early fire GM instead, Andrew, everyone in Detroit is, is, is certainly praising your thoughts because well, they've been, they were asking for that about five years before he was fired before Steve Eisman came in and tried to save anything. Uh, Eddie five Z why didn't Spurgeon get suspension for cross check? Uh, we mentioned that a little bit earlier on there. Uh, Eddie, he says that, uh, or it was because it, I say Pavel Buchnevich since he wasn't hurt. He did get a $5,000 fine, which is the max allowable under the CBA. So second round, amazing cook says one, four, three interesting, you know, I think Edmonton has a chance to win the series. Just they got to limit the mistakes. And once again, I know once for all these games you talk about today, guys, Carolina finishing all their chances against Boston. Minnesota, unable to beat Billy Huso. Tampa, getting blown up by the Leafs. And Edmonton making mistakes against LA. One game. One game. I know Edmonton's starting to get a little bit of Fritz, and I'm pretty sure Oilers live today. At 6.30, Chad was probably losing their lids, and they were freaking out about it. And I understand that, but 
Like it's one game. It is one game. We'll to, we'll take a we'll get, we'll get to the tonight's games here to wrap things up here on this Tuesday two TQL Tuesdays here on World Hockey Report. But do not forget though that you can find the best player tracking information on Quick Stats, Quack Stats, excuse me, Quack Stats. Follow them on social media and go check out their website and app today for more Quack Stats. So let's get to the games. I know we were talking a little bit. Someone's excited about the Rangers. That's Richard Farley, diehard Rangers fans, predicting though the Penguins in six. He says the five on play, five on five play for New York is lacking. Igor is stellar, but experience is key in playoffs. Love to be wrong opinion. Well, you're right there, Richard. Igor Shosturkin has played in one playoff game in his career. Now, actually, excuse me, has not even played a playoff game. That was a qual- that was in the qualifying round against the Carolina Hurricanes, if I remember correctly. And yes, I, I think 100% the, the Rangers on paper should have the advantage here, right? They have a 50-goal scorer in Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, solid defense core, and for most of the season, an MVP candidate in Igor Shosturkin. Not just a Vesna caliber guy, Hart Trophy candidate, Igor Shosturkin. And, you know, yes, he tailed off a little bit. They were not able to win the Metropolitan Division. But this is one of the best Rangers teams we've seen since 2014, 2015, yeah? I think we all can agree with that. I know 2017, they made it to the second round, but let's be honest here, guys. Are are anyone else kind of thinking that here right now? Great goaltender from Europe. This one being a Russian, Igor Shosturkin. Um, Andrew says, I'm out. Thanks, bud. See you soon. See you later there, Andrew. Um, amazing cook one, four, three says the Rangers win this series in six or seven games. He is ready for this one. And I, I said penguins in seven. Now, if Tristan Jari is healthy, I initially said penguins in five, but then Tristan Jari goes down and is going to miss the start of the series. I believe games one and two. I really think that if Casey DeSmith doesn't do some weird Jeff Zakoff kind of thing that the Penguins had in their early run in 2016. It might be tough here for the Penguins to get out of the first round. I think up front, they still have the talent to do it. Brian Russ, Jane Gensel. Uh, sorry, do you still have 87 and 71 on your roster? Uh, yeah, okay, that's fine by me. I'm okay with that. I think Chris Letang is playing well this year. He's having, I'm not going to say a bounce back year, but he is getting older. But compared to what we've seen in the past from 58, I think he's played a solid role this year. You know, I know people have been calling for the head of Brian Dumoulin, but the Penguins are still the Penguins. And for a minute there, they looked like they were a team that was going to win the division. Injuries kind of certainly didn't help their cause, and they kind of went a little bit down the stretch here. But that playoff experience will come to key. It will become a key thing here. Because let's be honest, Artemi Panarin's probably like him. and I mean, he's probably like the one guy that's really has the most experience on this hockey club. At least, you know, the, the notable experience being the superstar that he is, having won the cup with the Hawks and then obviously caused a little bit of havoc in 2019 with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, you know what? I think the Rangers are going to have something interesting. And, you know, I just... It, it's it's going to be an interesting one. I will confirm that. I really think that it's just... It's not going to be an easy series to be a part of because Shurkin's a great goaltender, but it's a different it's a different animal in the playoffs. Uh, can barely keep up with the ticker there, bud. Yep, that is yep, something we're working on there, BC Hockey Podcast. Uh, something we're working on here. But 
this series, I still say Penguins in seven because I think the experience will come to key. I know Stephen Ellis said that's kind of a far-fetched idea. He doesn't believe in that. But you know what? If Shesterkin doesn't have a great series, the Rangers are in trouble because there was a lot of instances earlier on this year when Chris Kreider had that great start of the season. He scored 30 goals in, what, 30, 40 games. Well, the reason why is because they were able to take chances because they had Shesterkin back there bailing him out. If he doesn't bail him out, could be a very long series for the team, the Blue Shirts. Don't forget, Kreider was on the Rangers since 2013. That is right, Amazing Cook. He's also the guy that pretty much, you know, kind of put a, the the ticking time clock on Carey Price's career because he forgot how to skate. Remember, he fell into him, blew his knee out. 2012, that's right, Amazing Cook. He was on there since 2012. But yeah, ran into Carey Price and uh, kind of shortened his career, if you ask me. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, that game is at five o'clock mountain time, seven o'clock Eastern time game one at Madison square garden. No Zucker. Also Jason Zucker out for games one and two for the penguins cats and caps at five 30, seven 30 Eastern time at FLA line, the Florida Panthers president's trophy winners, the best team in the national hockey league. You know what guys, I, this is going to be a very interesting series. Because here's the thing. The Panthers have not won a series. We always talk about how, oh, the the drought for the Leafs, 2004. The Florida Panthers have not won a playoff series since John Van Beesbrook dragged that team to the 1996 Stanley Cup Finals. So, you're right. I'm a little skeptical about the Florida Panthers. Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberto, Kenzie Wieger, Aaron Ekblad, great players. All these talented hockey players. They've never made it out of the first round before. 2016 Atlantic Division winners. Out thanks to John Tavares and the New York Islanders. And Thomas Grice as well. Last year, win the Central Division. No, correction, they were second in the Central. That's right, second in that Central Division. Fortunately ran into the Tampa Bay Lightning and the $18 million over the cap. Nikita Kucherov, nonsense. Yeah, I know. This is their best shot, yes, to win a playoff series, I believe. Aaron Eckblad will be in the lineup as well tonight for the Florida Panthers. Missed some time there towards the end of the season. I really think that this is going to be a, a good team. Uh, Richard Farley says they're at least a season away from a deep run. Richard, uh, I'll let you answer your own question. Are you talking the Rangers or the Panthers here? Because Florida, 122 points. My question is, though, because we saw them we saw them score their way out of problems this year. Claude Giroux coming into the fold at the deadline. Big move for them. Really helped them give them some veteran experience because, of course, Claude Giroux was on the Flyers in 2010 when they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals with Michael Layton and Brian Boucher as their goaltenders that year. But I really liked Richard Feist's Rangers. I agree with you, Richard. I think, And that's why I think this series for the Rangers with Pittsburgh, quickly going back to it, it'll be important for them to kind of get that playoff experience because... Let's be honest, they were in the bubble, but that was, that's we all know that wasn't really the Stanley Cup playoffs. MSG in April, it can get bumping. PPG Paints Arena, Pittsburgh, that place is going to be loud. There's going to be that one guy with the Vuvuzela. Let's go. Yeah, those guys, yeah, the ones at the Washington Capitals, you know, kind of copied up after that. Those guys, it's a different animal. Back though to the Caps and the Panthers here. If Sergei Bobrovsky and or Spencer Knight don't get it together and don't be, and Bobrovsky's not the show stealer that we know he can be, it's going to be tough because you can score your way out of problems, I think, during the regular season. Yeah, we saw that great comeback against the Maple Leafs earlier this year with Florida. 
We saw it new against the New Jersey Devils. They can do it, sure. The playoffs are just different. I don't know if they can do it in the playoffs. And I know they're going up against a Washington Capitals team that has a big fat question mark between the pipes because Ilya Samsonov and, and Vitek Vanacek are just... Earlier on this year, this the Washington Capitals were the best team in the Eastern Conference at one point. Age kind of showed up, and the goaltending kind of was subpar. So they need to call up Zach Bucali to save the door, save them right now, because that's going to be their big question mark, because I think their offense will still be there. Ovechkin is, you know, he said said he's going to be in the lineup tonight for game one after missing the last few games of the season with an upper body injury. Looked to be his shoulder after he got tripped up by the Leafs' Eric Schalgren. But if he, if Ovechkin doesn't click, if Backstrom and him don't get together, if Tom Wilson isn't the threat that he is, I think Florida has certainly has the advantage. But that is where I put the line right there. If Tom Wilson doesn't be a factor, because we know Tom Wilson, we know what he does, we know what he has done, we know the laundry list. It should be longer, George Peros, but that's a discussion for a different day. We know that Tom Wilson can be the true X factor in this series because how often, I mean, yeah, they have, they do have tough guys. I, the Florida Panthers have some tough guys in their lineup, but do they have tough guys that can play like Tom Wilson? If Tom, I mean, I'm not saying Washington's going to pull off the upset here. I picked Florida to win this. Or actually, no, did I pick Florida? Let's, let's quick go back to our World Hockey Report picks here. Let's just quick pull this one back up here for you. And did I pick Florida? Yes, we all picked Florida. It's on the bottom there, as you can tell. Where's my finger? There it is. Bottom, all of us, Cody, Adam, and I picked Florida to win this series. And and I think so, too. I really do. I really think that Florida has this one. I'm not going to say in the bag, but I'm just going to say that there's a good chance that they should win this series. It might be with a couple of speed bumps, though, which will make whoever comes out of the Tampa-Toronto series just a little bit more interesting. A second-round All-Florida matchup, though, would be fun. Of course. that would. Can, remember last year when when... BB&T Center, as it was known last year, was like the loudest arena in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Granted, a lot of places had you know capacity restrictions in some parts, but that was a fun series to watch between Tampa and Florida. And it's a shame it did not go seven games because that would <laughs> game seven in Florida would have been certainly an interesting one, nonetheless. But a battle of Florida. Logan jumping on in here saying Minnesota Wild win best of seven. Well, there's a good chance for that. They've only lost one game. We've got a long way to go in that series as well. The other two games on tap coming up tonight, we have the Preds and Avalanche, the the best team in the Western Conference against Nashville. Uh, Listen, I'm going to say this right now. I love Nashville fans. I love Smashville. The town is great. The food is awesome. Buddy Peyton Turnage is a great guy. I love chatting with Pete Weber, the radio voice of the Predators, the original voice of Nashville hockey. And, man, I tell you, I feel so bad for these guys because... Had UC Saros not gotten injured, I think this would be a it could be an interesting series because Saros has shown that he can be the game saver for the National Predators. Here's the problem, though. Big save Dave Riddick is all of a sudden have to be the guy that has to show up. We talked about it earlier with Stephen Ellis. And yeah, you know what? He could. He could do it. But can he? Because this is a Colorado team that's coming into these playoffs pretty ticked off still. They lost, I mean. Pretty much until the last month of the year, they seem to be the shoe-in for the President's Trophy once again. They've been knocked out in the in the second round the last couple of seasons, despite having a good team. They're looking great again. 
Darcy Kemper is coming back around after a little bit of a, a bit of a wobble, speed wobble in the middle portion of the season. Nathan McKinnon's still there. Gabriel Landeskog's still there. Kale McCarr is in the Norris conversation, even though, I'm going to say this right now, guys, and I don't care who has, who have to fight over this. Roman Yossi, I think, is going to win. The, I should win the best this year. I'm sorry. I know Victor Hedman is another guy that deserves it as well. Great defenseman. But Roman Yossi, just because of the fact that it seems like the PWHA, the Pro, Rock, Pro Hockey, no, PHWA, the Pro Hockey Writers Association, loves defensemen that can score. Well, Roman Yossi is the points leader once again for Nashville, as well as being a, you know, a top pair defenseman in his own zone. So, yeah, I, that's, you know, that's going to be the X factor. I really think if, you know what, if, if Philip Forsberg plays a big role, if Ryan Johansson comes out and plays well, and yeah, big save Dave can steal you one or two here early on because as we know for right now, Saros going out for games one and two. If they can get through these first two games in Denver, unscathed for the most part, and show that they can compete, you get your starting goaltender back, it's a whole different story. So, yeah, I picked Colorado to win this one pretty quickly, but it, it it could I don't think I don't think Nashville can pull off the upset even if they had Saros, but I think it'd be a more competitive series if you see Saros is in the lineup and in net for the Nashville Predators. Farley says, let's go Preds, love a true underdog. Hey, don't forget, they were the second wildcard team when they made it all the way to the Cup Finals back in 2017. Granted, it was five years ago, and the team looks a lot different now, let's be honest. And, I mean, no no PK, no Rene. Um, gosh, who else was on that team? Mark Borietsky wasn't there. He was still in Ottawa. Uh, it was a much different time, of course, because, yeah, it was that was a fun run for sure, no question about it. Calgary and Dallas is the last game. This is the Pacific Division winning Calgary Flames. First time they've done that since 2019. Of course, we talked about that with Mike Smith. They got knocked out by the Colorado Avalanche, who were the underdogs that year, and the Dallas Stars. Now, this is a rematch for those that don't remember from the opening round of the 2020 bubble playoffs, where the Dallas Stars, on their way to the cup final, knocked out Calgary in six games, even though Calgary was the favorite going into that series. But remember, that was also the series where Matthew Kachuk got hurt, missing the last game, the last couple of games, I believe. And there was that weird there was that weird hot start for Calgary in game six, but they immediately collapsed right after that and Dallas won big and whatnot. It was a that was a wild, wild series, no question about it. But I remember, do the wild suck, Cody Jansen? You know what, Cody? Yeah, they suck. No, I'm kidding. No, I they don't, I don't think they suck. I just think, quickly before we go back here to the, the game we're talking about tonight, Dallas and the Flames, Billy Huso stood on his head for the St. Louis Blues last night. And that's what we know about these playoffs. You get you run into a hot goaltender, and that can really change a series around. And Billy Huso was the better goaltender last night. And the goalpost had something to do with that as well. And by the way, Jan, I know you probably just missed it, but we, did, we talked about how I don't think... The Kings are not going to sweep the Oilers. But the Kings... If Edmonton keeps making the mistakes that they did last night, yeah, LA is going to be moving on. And Jonathan Quick has a lot to do with that as well. But no, the Wild do not suck. Are you are you trying to make Hoppy and Romy mad? Are you trying to get us kicked off the Hockey Podcast Network here, Janner? Come on now. Of course, you guys know this because you're watching on the Hockey Podcast Network or 12 Ounce Sports on the YouTube channels, as well as checking us out at World Hockey RPT on Twitter. Find us every Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday during these playoffs. Your prediction for Kings and five is insane. If Mike Smith keeps throwing the puck up the middle of the ice there, Janner, I'm a genius. I want you to know that, all right? But let's jump on the Flames page here once again. I think this team is that team that has a chance to, to 
finally make the jump. And Danner, you and I were talking about this yesterday. We talked on the phone and we said the reason why 2019 was such a, a real buzzkill for the Flames was that was the first year we saw that Johnny Goudreau was a liability in the playoffs. And Johnny Hockey was, yes, he was an MVP caliber player this year, a Hart Trophy caliber player this year for the Flames. Over 100 points, fantastic player. Evan Kachuk, that line was banging. Andrew Mangiapane was a underlying underdog to make Team Canada if the NHLers went to the Olympics. That's how good he was this season. However, if they can't do it here in the playoffs, then all that work is for nothing. But I feel like now with the disappointment from not making the playoffs last year, from the way the things ended in the bubble, from 2019, this group, this core, and, I mean, you have Elias Lindholm, and Noah Hannafin's had a great season as well. You have Chris Tanev on the back end, who's played real big minutes since coming from Vancouver, and Jacob Markstrom is looking like the Markstrom that we saw in the bubble in 2020. And if some of you remember the 2019 playoffs for the Utica Comets in the American Hockey League, I remember that. The Grampus Griffins had some problems with him. But I really think that this is the group that can make the step. However, Jake Ottinger, <laughs> that's the guy, like, he, if he plays well, if Jake Ottinger does that thing where he steps up in the playoffs like he'd had to earlier on this year when Braden Holpe was out of the lineup and Anton Hudobin left and, and Ben Bishop retired, you know, he could be a, a key player. But then again, if he doesn't, if he doesn't play well, here comes Scott Wedgwood, who just for some reason can play good against good teams. I, I don't know how to describe it for the former Plymouth Whaler, but he can do it. And there is the two-headed monster of Joe Pavelski and Jason Robertson, a sentence that if you told me three years ago when Robertson was playing in Kingston, I would have told you, yeah, you're an idiot. But no, that's actually true. Captain America and the youngster from California, Jason Robertson, absolutely tearing it up this season for Dallas. If they can cash in together still, if they can keep working, and if Jamie Benn can play a playoff style of hockey against Matthew Kachuk, Dallas will make things interesting. But I do believe, I believe Calgary will give them a good run for their money. I did, did I? Yes, I did pick Calgary. I'm like, I'm like I, did, I didn't pick Dallas, did I? I'm not that crazy. Uh, Janner says Flames should sweep. Listen, I'm confident the Flames, Flames are better, Janner. I don't want to go that far. That, 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 that's a lot. Uh, favorite first, that's a good question here to wrap things up here. Favorite first round memory from the NHL playoffs. Quickly jump in the comments here. We only got a few minutes left here before we wrap things up here on World Hockey Report for T-Cool Tuesdays. Favorite first round memory. My goodness. Well, I can look at it from a different, a few different angles here. One could be the, the from a, from a Leafs side of things, that the Kasperi Kapanen goal, the double overtime goal from Brian Boyle in game two against the President's Trophy winning Washington Capitals in 2017. Because I was watching the game, and I, I will admit I had a bootleg stream to watch the Hockey Night in Canada feed, the CBC feed, but I had Joe Bowen on in the background, and that reaction that I had, that Bonesy had, that the Leafs had, that goal I just remember just being crazy. I know the series didn't go their way, but... That's probably the favorite first-round memory that I have as from the Leafs side of things. I'm trying to think of another series that was just crazy from the first round that that I just remember thinking, this is wild. Uh, the Well, I, I look at my Chris Osgood poster I have behind the camera here in the studio here, the Pro Rock Hockey Studios here. 
for World Hockey Report. I I remember the 08 series very well between the Red Wings and the Predators. That was your Dan Ellis dragged Nashville into the playoffs. This was pre-Rene, obviously. And the series was very tight. Dominic Hoshik actually started the series for Detroit. And Ozzie came in late in game four after Jason Arnott. This is how long ago it was. Jason Arnott pretty much tore the Red Wings apart, tore him a new one. And him and Radic Bonk, like <laughs> 2008 was wild. 2008 was like the definitive year, the definitive split between the hockey we knew before the lockout to what it is today. Like that's where like all the veterans like stopped. It was a very odd time. The 08 season was, and the Red Wings were able to take advantage of it that year. But Osgood came in in game five and was sensational. And Johan Franz and scored a winner. It was a two, one game in overtime. And I remember I was at my, and the reason why I remember this very vividly, I was up in, up at Ferris state in big Rapids, Michigan, about an hour or so North of Grand Rapids. I was playing a three on three tournament that same weekend. And I got to stay at my aunt and uncle's house. My uncle, my great uncle, who was from St. Thomas, Ontario, big London Knights fan. That's where I got my London Knights fandom from. And we, we had, I had a game and we got back home and they get, they actually had a Canadian satellite because it was a summer home to him because he's from Ontario and whatnot. So we got to watch the games on CBC. And I think Bob Cole was on the call for that game. If I'm not mistaken, was it Bob Cole or Jim Houston? I just remember though, like the goal. And I just thought, man, it ended up being, you know, the serious turner because Detroit went on win game six, ended up winning their 11th Stanley Cup, which is still the last championship for the team. Janner, they should, but they won't. That's from Jared Jorgensen saying the Flames should sweep. I agree with you. Cody Andrew says they will sweep. <sighs> I'm not sure, guys. I, 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 I know on paper, Calgary is the better team. I know the Flames, not the Flames, the Stars squeaked into the playoffs, but I think I had to give a little more credit to Dallas. I think they have, they can get one out of this series, right? I mean, if Montreal can get one against Tampa in the finals last year, I think Dallas can get one <laughs> against the Flames. Okay, that's a great question, and you guys can throw it in the comments here towards the end before we finally end things here on World Hockey Report. Who has a chance, better chance of winning a game in their series? Dallas or Nashville? Of course, Nashville didn't help their cause by blowing a 4-1 lead to Arizona. The last game ever at Glendale, which should be the last game ever for that franchise, but that's a discussion for a different day. Andrew says gives them one for Calgary. I think so too. I think you all should as well because, listen, also because my buddy Bruce Levine needs to work a little bit more. <laughs> Richard Fry says, I'm old, 94 Rangers sweep Islanders and outscoring them 22-3. to three. Jared says, Dallas has a better chance of winning than Nashville. I agree with you there, Jared, because once again, talk about the goaltending. I have more faith in Jake Ottinger for Dallas than I would for either Dave Reddick or Connor Ingram for Nashville. So, but let's see, Nashville win. Well, holy cow. Okay, Andrew, <laughs> Nashville will win this series. Unless like, unless Colorado has that thing that happened in 2020 where they lose both of their two NHL goaltenders, like there could be a certainly, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, I got to wrap it up. Up. Oh, yep. Got to wrap it up guys for about four Oh Yeah. You got to wrap it up at 4.30. Okay, yeah, 4.30. I'm like, I got half an hour. I'm wrapping it up, Cody. I know you don't, I, I get paid by the hour. I get it. <laughs> but don't forget, though, guys, if you miss any of the show today or miss looking for one of the interviews, we'd either do with Stephen Ellis or our good guy and Jack Michaels from the Edmonton Oilers. And But make sure you check out World Hockey Report's podcast, wherever you get your podcast for daily content. You can check it 
Thanks to the guys at World Hockey Report. Just search World Hockey Report in your favorite podcast app today and every day. Three shows a week for the playoffs, as well as, you know, I mean, we're going to have some good stuff coming to the finals as well. So going to be exciting. And by the way, programming note, should mention this, starting next Tuesday, we're actually going to bump it back to 1 o'clock Mountain Time, 3 o'clock Eastern Time for Tuesday. I'm also going to be doing next Thursday's show as well on the 12th. So we'll talk about that next week. But next Tuesday, not 2 o'clock, but 1 o'clock, 1 o'clock Mountain Time, 3 o'clock Eastern Time for you East Coast bias folks out there on World Hockey Report. Be sure to be ch- tune in tomorrow, though, at noon, though, for lunch hour with Cody Jansen as he gets you set for not just the games tomorrow night, but also recaps the games are going on tonight. Caps and Cats, Rangers and Penguins, Stars and Flames, Avs and Preds all tonight. Fun first round of the playoffs, guys. That is it, though, for this edition of World Hockey Report. We will be back once again, like we said, tomorrow and Thursday, three times a week. Thank you for watching this edition of TQL Tuesdays here on World Hockey Report. We'll see you next time.